Bonzilla presents Pirates of the Caribbean. Each week we sail into the world of pirates. This week we're introduced to one of the greatest visual effects characters of all time as Pirates cements its legacy as a franchise. It's 2006's Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. everybody welcome to bondzilla presents i am nick i'm will and we are here once again uh this time with a more normal opening than our last star trek episode but that also to be fair that opening of our last star trek episode is one of our best of all time i just hope people weren't confused that like i forgot to edit it or something i was kind of the one thing i was kind of worried about where i was just like people are going to listen like oh is this like uh the wrong version of the upload but no that was all intentional not intentional but intentional nonetheless but we are here with a normally edited opening ready to take you back to the open seas for more pirate to the caribbean nonsense Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's probably the best way to put it lovingly um pirates and well this one uh this movie today, it, uh, I, I actually kind of hold it as a very significant movie in my life, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I think we'll get we'll dig into it more. But this this era of going to the movies, this, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, um, not, uh, Dead Man's Chest coming out in 2006. This was really the era where I really started to dig deep into my Disney fandom, my movie fandom, my general entertainment, like, passion, I guess, is is kind of, you know, the seeds were planted a little bit earlier than this, but this was among the many things that happened in sort of this time period that kind of really set me on the path to eventually doing stuff like Bonzilla or, like, you know, enjoying films, so... I, I it, it was a I would say it was a very I don't get nostalgic for much honestly but this was one of those like very just nostalgic going to the movies and like you know right right at the beginning of like right before high school type of thing so uh I, I'm very much looking forward to kind of digging into this film and the next film kind of together and really showcasing sort of what is you know good and what what to reflect on the impact these films had, at least on me personally. Yeah, because Dead Man's. I'm just looking up the movie. Usually, I have this all pulled up. So that was, so that was 2006. Yeah, yeah. like so, like I I just know it's just funny. You're right. Like you know, th- this is a this film. I think even particularly this film, but then the franchise as a whole, like the original trilogy of films is such an interesting thing to grow up with. Um, if that's what you can call it, because, you know, it's 2006. And what is notable, if I had to think about that time, is that it's this real pre big, what the landscape now is. Yes. Like it was like, cause I was trying to think like, 
because now you have multiple franchises that you mm-hmm. follow like whatever your persuasion is whether you're a star wars fan marvel fan dc fan um whatever uh, like now you know uh, if you're so inclined a dune fan something like that. there's always there is always now there's always something to look forward to in terms of like the like a big thing and that really wasn't the case when these movies were coming out because i was trying to think of like what were like the other big franchises going on at the time and like you kind of had because like what did you have it you had like you know batman really wasn't in full swing yet like you had the one and you knew that they were going to make another one but it was just kind of like a spattering of of i mean like if you if you're really looking at what was also and we talked about this a little bit last time what was also around this time period it was like the tail end of that Lord of the Rings franchise, the Spider-Man franchise was in full swing. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about it when we talk about it at World's End, but, you know, with a big competition that like, you know, World's End was that in Spider-Man 3. Kind of had the X-Men stuff going on. You had the Star Wars prequels. It was kind of like the precursor to like what eventually would go. This was kind of like, again, this sort of era of big blockbuster filmmaking. It is very distinctive, I think, and just in terms of, not having like, you know, a billion things like we have now, but having things that I think did make, you know, kind of the impact. And especially when we, when we get to talking about like the financial gains of this movie, you know, we're we're kind of getting into that era of the consistent billion dollar movies. We're getting into the era where every year we're having a new opening weekend box office record, right? Like this is sort of, we're we're and we're leading up. I mean, we're two years away from from Iron Man and the Dark Knight and that next evolution that we've we've kind of talked about already when we talked about sort of the Casino Royale era of filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, and the gritty Rubin era. But this is sort of we're right in the the precipice of like the huge box office gainers. Like we're we're right at the beginning of that part of of film history. Well, and then the other thing, too, is like, at best, the idea was that you would always do a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yes, that film. is, I think that is really the thing, right? Like, yeah. that was Lord of the Rings, that was the prequel trilogy, right. that was the Spider-Man trilogy, to an extent, the X-Men trilogy. Yeah, you know, it yeah. was very much like you were kind of always leading to like, okay, we're gonna do the three films. Yeah, and the it... trilogy was the standard, the ongoing franchise wasn't quite as prevalent as it was right. now. And I think it's also interesting when we talk about like this era of filmmaking in the sense that like a lot of these franchises that did start as trilogies eventually end up trying to become the ongoing franchises. Like it happens kind of with, you know, X-Men is very different because again, they're in the superhero world, but it's like, you know, you get those X-Men trilogies and then they're going to do like, you know, Origins Wolverine and, you know, the plans were doing like Origins Magneto and that turned into first class. Like, you know, eventually, like the Spider-Man trilogy was going to be its own thing, but even that was like, okay, maybe we'll do a fourth one at some point. Like Pirates, we'll we'll definitely get into that. Pirates was a very much a franchise that was trying to get into the like, okay, we're going to keep doing movies after this yeah. trilogy. And um, it also, and leading into this film, uh, Dead Man's Dead Man's Chest was what I remember distinctly was again just like how great the first one was. And a lot of this movie was way before I started really getting into following movies actively. 
mm-hmm. and this and then r- the years following this it was really kind of like once we get into 2018 and like w- once like that 20 uh not 2018 uh 2007 2008 yeah um period where that's when you know i started you know hopping on uh apple trailers and looking up like the leaks of like the Iron Man trailer online and then just like really getting like uh, yeah. into all, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then really just following movies. So I was kind of ignorant to, you know, the plans with this movie, which will come into like, you know, where this movie goes. Um, but leading into it, I, I remember at the time that it was an exciting novel thing that pirates was getting a sequel Mm -hmm, yeah like i was like oh that that movie was awesome and they're gonna make another one like there there was like a level of just innocent excitement to the fact that that was and that was like really the the last time because you almost take that for granted now because it's almost kind of like a foregone conclusion that there will be a follow-up in some way shape or form yes like the mummy that will definitely pay off everything uh, in the Invisible Man movie, right? Like that's right, right, exactly right. what's going to happen. But but you kind of know what I mean. No, no, like, no. Like, yeah. But it's like yeah, like when we, you know, like now it's like, yeah, oh, like we're already discussing like, well, how, you know, sir, you know, we, we can kind of like when you make a Suicide Squad, it's like okay, we're, we know we're gonna get more with with Harley at yeah. some point, or like when you when you're making like you know oh the eternals it's like well there's going to be more of those characters at some point or another shang chi mm-hmm. right like now we're just like even these types of characters well they're going to play a role going forward and you know like and i think like that's very much true and even to an extent like stuff like you know when you're when you're planning out something like dune which again is a hot topic where it's like oh we're we're building this movie to be part one of a two-parter like mm-hmm. which is you know, has happened in film history, but now it seems more of like, well, we're, we're setting this up so that we can do another one right, as opposed right. to being like, oh, well, we're going to only adapt so much and hope for the best, right? Like that's kind of, it's more so like we're kind of setting things up to be like, yes, we're doing more with yeah, this. It, you, you would very rarely be like, I'm trying to think of the last time when they're like, oh man, that's getting a sequel. Like may, maybe Knives Out. <laughs> Knives Out. <laughs> Knives Out is like the is like the one where you're I mean, like I guess like of... the other one was the one that comes to mind when you say like, oh, they're actually doing a sequel was um for the Twenty One Jump Street uh reboot. Uh when yeah, there was like yeah, oh, maybe yeah. Yeah. But but Knives Out is probably a good example where it's like you kind of like I, I hope they do more Benoit Blanc mysteries. Right, right. And you're like, oh, they actually are doing more Benoit Blanc mysteries. Like so that is very true. So I remember I remember distinctly the day going back to Pirates that the Dead Man's Chest, um, because I remember it was one of those things where the logo got revealed and then the trailer came out, I believe, shortly after. And I re- I distinctly remember the day of watching that trailer. And it was like, and it was like, oh my, oh my God, like, you know, Johnny Depp's back and there's a weird squid man. And, and then if you go back and watch that era of trailers, like, like it, it, it is my belief that trailers kind of just recently became good because it wasn't that long ago that trailers were not great. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was just kind of like a, like, if you go back and watch like the teaser trailers for some of this, it's just a spattering of, of kind of semi-connected, like, I, I don't, I don't find it to have the artistry 
that movie trailers today have. Yeah, but I also um, remembered this era of watching trailers when it would be like, oh, you'd like as soon as it was over, you want to rewatch it again because you oh, are yeah, trying no, to Oh, yeah, no, totally. Up. Yeah, like, no, I was now, the same now, way. Now I'm someone like, you know, that's like there's a whole industry behind that now. But like now, like for me, trailers, I'm like, I can see a trailer once. It's like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's like I'm at a point where it's like I'll probably see that movie. Or I probably won't see that movie. Yeah. But like this era of, tra- again, this like formative period of being coming a film fan, at least for, for me, was very much just like, oh, like the Apple trailers, the quick time. I have to like reload it and like, download it and like watch it again and be really hyped for it and see what happens and like try to imagine what happens so oh my god remember remember just i just remember apple trailers apple trailers was great and then you would try to download it and it would be like a terrible low quality (laughs) download of it depending on what your internet like that was yeah that was a crazy time those are the times man but yeah but other than that that's all i knew i only knew that oh it's another one well, and can't wait. I, I guess this is. I guess this is now is a good time to be my my big my big secret is that this was the first pirates movie I saw. I did not see you the did first. Not, oh, you! I did not know this. No, but you'll find, and this is another part of our conversations that you'll find this funny. I did have knowledge of the basic plot of the first movie, thanks to a little video game that came out the previous year, known as Kingdom Hearts Two. Uh, oh my god you are all over the place yeah so this was again like, it's like 2003 was just like i was into all the different stuff at the time like i did like disney i did like generally watching like some movies but really it was this period that kind of really solidified me as as a film person and this is getting too deep but like pirates that first pirates movie came out in 2003 and like my real journey to like becoming interested in in entertainment was the next year when i decided to like secretly watch watch lost uh without my parents knowledge and from there just kind of like a a bunch of different stuff happened after that but this was the first movie where i really remember being like i need to see this in the theater like i need to go and see this in a movie theater Mm -hmm. and, and and experience at least a movie on this level so um it was a very, again, a very sort of nostalgic thing to be like, I remember sitting, I had one of those situations where I was sitting in like the very front row of the theater because it was like, you know, packed and like, you know, you're looking up at the screen and it's like, you're basically looking straight up and everything. And I remember very distinctly my first viewing of this movie. I also remember, and then with my first viewing of the movie, I don't remember exactly who I went to I don't know if it was everybody in the family went to go see it because it was a rare movie where my whole family liked it my mom liked like the first one my dad liked the original one and and I think we all may have gone to see Mm -hmm. this one because I everybody it was just everybody just loved it in my family so I, I do remember it being more this wasn't one I went to with friends I believe this was a yeah, this was a family. I believe. Affair. I believe both of these movies, the this one and the the end of the original trilogy, I saw with my dad, and uh, he was very into these movies. I think also he. I don't know if he saw the first one, but he just really liked sort of the the pirates sort of style. So he was very much into seeing these two movies mm-hmm. uh, with me. So, um, very much so. But yeah, it was like, which is funny because I, I I will talk about it a little bit in the movie, but. There's very much like a lot of my knowledge of 
Pirates at the time was just because I played through the Kingdom Hearts 2 mm-hmm. sections. That's so And funny. so the fact that there's one major character missing from the Pirates, uh, the Pirates section in Kingdom Hearts 2, it, it was like I kind of had to play a little bit of catch up in this movie. But uh, but yeah, so um, who, wait, because in... Norrington's not in the game. Oh, okay. you, you, he's only I thought ref- you were talking about Gibbs. No. Gibbs, I kind of got like okay, general stuff. Norrington's not in the game. You just see, oh like, right, 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 because he you, is like a follow up character. Yeah, I, yeah, I know and, what you mean. And um, he is. Uh, you only get him referenced like if you read some of the signs in right. Port Royal in the game. Like it's like he has like edicts to like get pirates yeah. or whatever. So his part of the movie was very much like oh, I guess that he has history with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually, you know, and then I eventually saw the first one and loved Norrington, and I still do. I still love the yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that, I think it's time for us to kind of get briefly into a little bit of production history with this one, because um, one of the one of the major things about this movie was so Pirates comes out in 2003 is a surprise hit. Johnny Depp gets the, you know, Academy Award nomination. And it's, it's generally regarded as, as a very much a surprise, both at the box office and in terms of critics. People did not expect the movie to be good. Disney did not expect the movie to be well as well we kind of talked about you know it was one point considered to be like a, a direct-to-video release before they they gave it the budget that it did and once the movie came out and it was successful uh disney saw finally its opportunity to have sort of a franchise of its own because you we talked about it you know outside of an odd mighty ducks here or there or you know the herbie films back in the in the 70s like the disney studio never really had its true franchise uh, of live action filmmaking you know they tried with dick tracy they tried with rocketeer we talked about that so this was their chance and, and again to be in that realm of the spider-mans and the lord of the rings and the x-men movies that they had an opportunity to uh you know find themselves a, a franchise footing uh especially as you know again uh, alan cook who was head of at this the live action stuff at the studio at the time this was sort of a, a big boon for him to kind of stay on board as sort of the head of production and we are reaching the tail end of the studio's Eisner era, which, you know, started off really hot in the 80s through the 90s. But we talked about last time too, had a cooling off period. And this was, again, a big boon to the, the end of the Eisner legacy, uh, which ends in 2006, which becomes a very big deal for the Pirates franchise going forward. So Disney decides, OK, we're going to do more films. And at first, the executives at Disney are thinking, okay, we're going we're gonna to Indiana Jones this. We're just basically going to make each film its own individual adventure and, you know, kind of just go from there. But Ellie and Rocio, uh, who are back on board now as the sole writers of this franchise, having come in to do the rewrites on the last one, they have bigger plans. And they pitch to these Disney executives, let's, let's do it as sort of an actual trilogy. Let's retroactively make Curse of the Black Pearl the first of a, a series of films and do a big mythology and a big sort of more in the realm of something like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, that, that, that the films all really connect into one larger story. And their pitch is, is just really well in terms of the idea and sort of the money and the box office and everything like that. And Disney decides we're going to sign everybody back on board, the main cast all together, and we're going to sign them for back-to-back films that will shoot back-to-back, which, you know, films had done that before, but this was a relatively novel idea to, to do around this time period, which is essentially like, 
We're just going to shoot them back to back, you know, all basically one large film shoot, reuse the sets, kind of write everything together and go from there. So Elliot and Rocio sit down and they're thinking, okay, what is going to be the main crux of this new set of two films that it is a trilogy, but they're kind of writing these two films together to kind of really be the backbone of this story. And immediately they know they have a big boon in the fact that in their original script for Curse of the Black Pearl and a scene that was shot, uh, the explanation for Jack's compass in that film was that it only led to Il de Morta, that mm-hmm. the, the compass pointed to Il de Morta. But that was cut out. That explanation, that scene was cut out of the movie. And of course, now that when it's cut out of the movie, when it's on the bonus features, it's considered non-canon. So now Elliot and Rocio's like, okay, so now we have a clean slate with that compass. Let's just make it point to like wherever he wants, you know, and then we can have some fun with that from a character perspective. But the real thing is like, well, what's it going to point to in this movie? What's Jack going to be looking for with that compass now that he has it? And the original idea was to do something with the Fountain of Youth. Uh, that there was going to be sort of a, a journey to, you know, Florida, Fountain of Youth, the whole Cortez, you know, all that sort of stuff, the, the Spanish galleons, that sort of history and that legend. Rocio and Elliot decided, okay, let's actually do a little bit more research into pirate lore, see if we can find something, you know, just an, another idea just to kind of, you know, go through our whole rounds. And eventually they come across the legend of the Flying Dutchman, the legend of Davy Jones, which, you know, they had previously used briefly for a line in the previous film uh the kraken all that sort of stuff and they sort of had this idea all right well let's kind of do something big with that let's get this crazy you know ghost ship with you know the captain of ruling the seas oh jack would make a deal with davy jones and you know he's kind of trying to get out of that debt because that's who he you know he's trying to kind of you know escape to another day that's kind of the jack sparrow character in a nutshell he's always trying to kind of make his riches, make his life better, but also as just escape to the next day. As well as in their research, both on, they, they looked at the mythological stuff, but also on pirate history, they found a lot of information about how around this time period when these films t- took in, a lot of the shipping companies and trading companies were actually trying to um, enlist pirates, hire pirates and, and blackmail pirates into working for them and working for their shipping companies in, in sort of the, ways of which to you know kind of cheat their way through the system themselves and Verbinski when he was kind of on board and he was definitely on board for doing these next two movies as well he was very interested in that idea of the more corrupt government and 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 you know business and and to an extent capitalism driven society as opposed to the the freedom that pirates represent and sort of that you know the Cutler Beckett character, which we'll talk about very much. It's like when he says like freedom, like what is freedom? You know, that whole, that whole situation. Gore was very interested in exploring that. So he was very adamant about that being a part of the script. So Rocio and Elliot took a lot of the dead man's chat. Uh, sorry, the, um, the Davy Jones and, and flying Dutchman and Kraken mythology and tried to kind of, you know, implement that into the pirates lore as well as sort of what actually happened to Will and Elizabeth, like what would actually be the consequences of their actions in helping Sparrow at the end of the last movie, Uh, as well as kind of, you know, using a lot of um, 
other pirate lore just from other novels like the black spot is a more mythological take on the black spot concept from robert louis stevenson's treasure island and the name of the movie dead man's chest also comes from the song that gibbs sings at the beginning of the movie which is originally from the treasure island novel and it's funny because i know black spot from muppet treasure island that yes. was my because that was my introduction to treasure island so it was just funny uh that that was that's just my waypoint yes to that piece of mythology uh yeah so they, they kind of just were taking like okay we're making a pirate movie so let's just add as much piratey stuff as we can uh to to side of the lore and the legend and kind of use that inspiration now and this kind of leads into bleeding a little also, bit i i should say sorry to interrupt but i do also remember that solid solid new title yes because for this reason and it's funny because you're talking about you know what they like what is like the what's what are they pointing to like what you know what like what's the thing because like and that because the first one was the curse of the black pearl like that it's that's just the legend that this this movie is that movie's dealing with and the dead man's chest and what's so great about it was that it did open up the question as a viewer what is the dead man's chest because yes. the trailers make it say like you know davy jones is involved and there's something about this chest this dead man's chest and they and they kept it as you don't know until really you went to go see the movie so mm -hmm. it was just like a fun yeah. all around the title worked out and i think it, and, it, just, and again it's like we we associate chess with pirates either way so it right, kind of right. again just fits all into what rocio and elliot were doing we're making like these ultimate pirate movies we're getting in mythology we're letting like you know we're, we're using the bigger budget that we have because that was another thing is that you know once you have a successful movie you, disney's gonna pour more money into the next film so like okay well we can afford to do more with the effects let's kind of have this davy jones guy and like you know what will he look like everything like that and the major problem that they run into while writing this script is the simple fact that they're writing two scripts at the same time mm. they're writing that the the arcs and the plot and the characters their journeys are going to end in that next movie and the fact that they're shooting them essentially back to back pretty much you know in the same wavelength means that they have to have those scripts ready to go those journeys ready to go because they need to know hey what's what sets do you need to build for that third one like how what can we reuse and that is a big part of sort of especially dead man's chest in the sense that you know these scripts are being written by 2004 disney wants to start shooting like early 2005 and by january 2005 there is no finished version of the dead man's chest script because they're still kind of working out the whole arc of these two movies and elliot and rocio were also very conscious about letting that script into the hands of the executives especially gore and bruckheimer uh, who's still on board as a producer of these movies because they were very much close to the chest on how these movies were going to connect. And to an extent, they were very aware of the fact that, you know, they had become very much the rewrite guys in a number of ways. Like, you know, again, they kind of stepped into rewrite stuff on Aladdin back in the day of Shrek, of, you know, Treasure Planet, of, of Pirates. And, you know, a lot of their scripts before, you know, we've talked about it a little bit with, uh, you know, their work on uh, that Godzilla movie in the 90s. You know, a lot of that stuff was kind of taken in, in very different ways, uh, especially once other kind of people stepped on board. 
So they were very close to the chest on the, in the uh, on the script for a long time and, and only sharing bits and pieces with the executives at Disney and, and, and Bruckheimer to the point where there was a there was a section of, of Disney in 2005 where they were thinking, hey, let's just cut our losses, maybe get new writers, maybe get a new director, go a different direction because we're not going to be we're never making this movie. But cooler heads prevailed. And they eventually start shooting in early 2005 without a finished script for Dead Man's Chest. Um, but Ellie and Rocio were on set every day doing rights. And they were very eager, especially on this one, as they were kind of developing these characters where they would go to get a lot of input from the actors. And, you know, that was one of those situations where they were just, there was a lot of spontaneity on that first one, especially from Depp. And they were kind of inspired, like, okay, let's keep going with that spontaneous route and, and kind of see what they want to do. Uh, like, for example, a lot of what Kira Knightley's journey is in this movie, especially her two scenes with Sparrow, uh, you know, when they're kind of debating, you know, kind of what what everything but he wants and sort of the, the morality and especially her scene when at the end with Sparrow, her last scene with Sparrow near the end of the movie were very much Kira Knightley driven ideas and very much Kira Knightley almost partly written ideas with her, Elliot and Rocio. Um, and of course, Depp is is very much like very influential on how his character is going to work, everything like that. Uh, and and it's 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 interesting only because, you know, it, it's very the obvious comparison in terms of trilogy is the, um, uh, you know, it's very Star Wars in a way, like especially like how this middle chapter ends and, and everything like that, and that the, the first one was like a surprise hit, and then now they're gonna make more and. And and it is funny also like listening to this and then hearing them talk about it that there was all this stuff about like okay well now they're they know all the they they brought everybody back they know them a little bit more from the first movie so there's things that are getting refined based off what they know who the actors are um, and uh, and I was able to listen to the commentary for this for this movie mm -hmm. and it, you just hear them bring that up quite often about like just that process of making the film um and then just making everything bigger i suppose yes uh so with the filming beginning obviously we need a cast and a good amount of the actors from the previous movie of course are back we've got johnny depp as jack sparrow and the bloom as will turner keir knightley as uh, elizabeth swan uh, Jack Davenport returns for Norrington. Um, though big, uh, uh, there was a big support amongst, especially Elliot and Rocio, uh, for bringing back the characters of Pentel and Rigetti uh, into the fold as, as sort of like the the few one of the only kind of members of Barbosa's crew from the from the, the original movie uh, to to make a return. And it was really just because of the fun that those characters had, and and it really was. This is kind of these two movies really expand upon their characters and their banter uh, more than anything else. Um, and and then I know Elliot and Rose, you'll just say those characters are fun to write, especially uh, kind of a signature of these movies is sort of the pseudo intellectual mm -hmm, debates yeah. that these, that many different characters get into, but especially Pentel and Rigetti together uh, yeah. that the characters and the actors had, had great chemistry together. Um, so they yeah, were very was eager. It, was it last time? That that I kind of described them as like the pseudo repo and R two of yes. the franchise. Yes, like you did. The duo that kind of 
um, it just kind of um, are through the entire uh, story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they, they have a lot of great, great moments in this movie in particular. Uh, they, they are very much a highlight. Well, yeah, because the, the whole, well, uh, we'll get to it, like, I guess when we talk about the movie. But yeah, they, they have, uh, they, they maintain that aspect of these films and the, and the script. Yes. But we do have a lot of new cast as well uh, to get to. Um, and why not start with uh, Bill Nye uh, as the man himself, the squid man himself. Uh, Davy Jones. Uh, so Nye was just one of those situations where Gore was just liked Nye. He as an actor was very impressed with, with basically Nye's uh, whole um, filmography and just like his, his performances and just was like kind of like a first choice kind of situation for Gore. And one of the big things was like Nye was interested in, in kind of doing the, the motion, like the, the, the effect stuff. He was the, something that he had not really done too much of in the past. So sort of delving into that different world, uh, kind of in some ways similar to what we talked about in the last Star Trek episode with F.A. Rambury, where it's just like you're kind of behind, you know, you're imagining what it's like um, to, to kind of be in that different zone. Uh, Gore originally wanted nahi to do a dutch accent because of the flying dutchman but nahi was like i don't do dutch so he decided to do scott scottish based on a scottish sitcom he was enjoying at the time and sort of kind of a slightly exaggerated uh scottish accent and we'll talk about the design of jones in a little bit um but obviously nahi was on set uh you know in kind of the the motion capture suit and sort of the special makeup uh, to kind of capture the eventual squid face uh, that he would have uh, in the movie. Well, yeah, the, and then, you know, he had the whole deal, too. Like, he had, a, like, a brace on his leg to kind of simulate the the peg leg. And, yes. he, and in some scenes, he even has, like, a big crab claw glove, if you look at some of the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm of it too I yeah mean, and there's yeah, I, that this aspect of it i can't wait to talk about and uh obviously. yeah and there's one there's only one scene in the movie where he's actually wearing a squid face prosthetic and that's when will has to kind of get the key from around his neck and he had to wear like a little um set of tentacles so that will uh that orlando bloom could actually play with the uh uh with the tentacles mm-hmm. um also i'll talk about uh stellan skarsgård as bootstrap bill turner this was kind of the idea that Elliot and Rocio kind of, again, the realization that, um, oh, he would be alive at the bottom of the sea. So maybe we can kind of, you know, bring that in, give Will something to do in the movie is sort of to a journey across these two films is Will's new journey is to reconnect with his father and, and free him from this kind of prison, uh, as well as kind of have a connection to, um, you know, Johnny Depp and, and, and Jack Sparrow as well. Uh, Skarsgård was another, just sort of, again, just good actor, wanted to work with him. Uh, originally, the plan was to have uh, Skarsgård's uh, makeup uh, be augmented by CG, because the whole idea was that, um, you know, Davy Jones's whole crew sort of become one with the sea and become different creatures and, you know, plants and stuff that are associated with the sea, like, you know, shark man and kind of the, the shell guy and coral, um, which was very different than Elliot and Rocio's original plan, which was to make ghosts that they were all going to be ghosts. And Gore's like, no, I want something more tangible than ghosts. 
So they decided to do to this uh, with the kind of the, the makeup. And while all the other crew members of Davy Jones's crew are CG incomplete, Bootstrap Bill Turner is the only one that has physical markings on it. And that's because they really wanted um, him to have interactions with Depp and with um, Orlando Bloom on set. Originally, it was going to be the, the makeup with CG augmentation, but they decided that the, the makeup looked good enough, that they didn't need to do anything more with it. And it took about four hours every day for Skarsgård to get into the makeup into to the character. And it's just also nice. Like, Skarsgård is actually the one of the characters. It's like I kind of sometimes forget that he's in these movies. So then, you know, when he shows up at the beginning, it, it's, um, it, it's nice. I'm like, oh, yeah, Skarsgård. He's in this. Also, fun fact about the rest of Davy Jones's crew. Um, so again, like Vorbinski wanted sort of this sort of semi-realism to it. Like obviously, like there was one idea, like those pitch where like a guy has the turtle shell. He's like, that's too much. Let's just make them kind of humanoid sea creatures, not go too much into it. And Depp actually contacted his good friend Tim Burton. Uh, to do some uncredited sort of ideas and, and, and workshopping of the Davy Jones crew. So again, Tim Burton had a, had a slight influence on mm. this uh, franchise as well. Uh, I do want to mention two more castings real quick. Uh, Tom Hollander as sort of our new lead villain of the franchise, Lord Cutler Beckett. Again, this was very much influenced by sort of these real life figures of different trading companies uh at this time period where you know they were also in their own ways very dishonest and and trying to kind of take over what the pirates were doing just from a very much more legal standpoint even if it was still very dishonest uh apparently um verbinski wanted to go against type for this role originally and had contacted ricky gervais to play the role of lord cutler beckett uh and gervais declined just was not something he was interested in and then when they decided to go with other castings, they decided to kind of go a little bit more into, you know, kind of an actor you would imagine in that role. So Tom Hollander, uh, one of those, Tom Hollander is one of those guys where you kind he kind of sneaks in a lot of movies. Like you mm-hmm. don't really realize like how much, how many sort of major roles he has had over the course of his career. This is, this is the one I know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But and it's he, just, he's like, so good. He, yes, he's he, such he, a slime ball. Of he, he's a very much a, a good role to uh, a good villain to root against. So, uh, and a really nice sort of difference, right? Like, because I think what's, and we'll talk about what makes him interesting is that he isn't a supernatural being, not like no. Barbosa, not like Davy Jones, uh, not like our, our next character we're going to talk about. That there's no kind of supernatural angle to him, that he is just a slimy human trying to make his way you know and trying to control the waters that's what makes him the character great but his portrayal of it great because it is one of those like you know like big like company man but he's really only a human and the the level of power that he gets and his the status of villainy that he gets over the course of these two movies you almost hate him more because you're like because this is a movie with you know you got you have in the last movie, you have Barbosa, who is just Jeffrey Rush being larger than life and is awesome. And then you got Davy Jones, who is a supernatural being who can control, like, almost control the sea. So <laughs> you, you hate him even more that he he's able to win as much as as much he, as he does. Yes, um, for sure. So, yeah, that's um, 
Yeah, that you know who would have really played this well? Another version of this, which would have been good. Like, like if you got like Ben Mendelsohn to play yes. this role. Yeah, it, it, it's like kind of in that because like, it's that same sort of realm. Yeah, yeah, like Ben Mendelsohn in Ready Player One or like or um uh, starts Rogue One. Like yes. his role. Yeah, I was like, imagining imagining his Rogue One. Role it's very sure. much like that. Yeah. Uh, and the last like major new character that we kind of need to talk about is. Uh, a character that'll be very interesting to discuss going forward, and what may be in this trilogy, I would say the most divisive uh, addition to these films is the character of Tia Dalma, who is portrayed by uh, Naomi Harris, a Bonzilla connection for us, the future mm-hmm. Money Penny. Uh, she was much younger at this point in her career, and Verbinski was not convinced the casting director wanted uh, Naomi Harris on board, pretty much from her role in uh 28 days later i believe it is the mm-hmm. first one right yeah yeah um and for basically thought she was too young but eventually the casting director was able to convince him bring her in for an audition uh and harris was very eager to kind of take a different role like this and in, and in fact um harris Naomi harris's mother uh Naomi harris is english uh, her mother is a jamaican immigrant uh from jamaica to england so Hair, uh, Harris brought her mother along to the audition just to help her coach the sort of pseudo Jamaican accent uh, that she eventually has in the movie. And then it was a situation where Gore was blown away by the performance and the, the audition and the accent and decided that she was, in fact, perfect for for the role. Uh, and of course, Elian Rocio was very much eager to say, like, hey, you're designed for the two movies and you're going to have a major a major role in, in sort of the plot of these movies. So is very much, again, big role for, for Naomi Harris here. So filming begins at the beginning of 2005. Uh, and one of the big things about the production of this movie in terms of shooting on location is the first movie only had one, you know, one location that, you know, Port Royal was built at. Um, and, and those this movie, Verbinski used the budget to really go to a bunch of different places uh, to, to kind of get a wider stretch of locations and, you know, uh, visual aesthetics. Uh, St. Vincent was still used for the main Port Royal and Tortuga sets because that's where the sets were built in the original film. And actually, many of those sets had survived a couple hurricanes. Uh, so they were still standing, though they did have to be partially rebuilt just from hurricane damage. So Basically, those sets that had take place at Tortuga and Port Royal, pretty much the same sets that were in the first movie. Uh, they also shoot on the island of Dominica, which is the cannibal island, also known as Paligalo, um, which was a, a kind of an interesting situation for them because the Dominica Republic—it's uh, not Dominican Republic, but the Dominica island government—was very eager to have a Hollywood production, but very much underestimated the amount of people that would be on the island for a production like Pirates of the Caribbean in, in the sense that um, that 90% of the roads at all given time were, were occupied by the crew, uh, especially then the roads were unpaved. It was very much harder for actual inhabitants of the island to kind of get around. Uh, but Dominica was used mostly for the cannibal island, as well as some of the forestier stuff that happens uh, on the dead man chest island in the big kind of third act, you know, Rube Goldberg sequence as we've kind of put it before um also for for both of the kind of cannibal sequence and that sequence uh, Gore was very insistent that the bone cages in the first sequence and the giant wheel in the last sequence 
were physical props uh, because he felt that these sequences were so already kind of crazy that just having the ability to do the actual shots with them and the long shots of the, the wheel and the bone cages respectively would just help to suspend that disbelief for the audience uh, much more than already has. And Dominica was also used for some of the river stuff that leads up to the Teodalma shack. Yeah, so Grand, the Grand Bahama Islands, White Cay, uh, even some shooting at Disney's private island at Castaway Cay. Very much everything was just going around the actual Caribbean, the actual islands of this area, getting a lot of different locales, shooting a lot of different places. Um, the other thing about the, the actual on-sea on shooting was that unlike the first movie, just because of the amount of stuff they were doing on sea and the shooting locations, that both um, the Black Pearl and the Flying Dutchman had to be fully realized ships. They couldn't just be on barges with a lot of CG, that they wanted these ships to actually be full, fully rendered sort of physical ships. So uh, the Black Pearl was built over an oil tanker, uh, and the whole ship is, is actually existing. And same thing with the, the Flying Dutchman. But a major part of this movie, of course, and we kind of finish up on this set, is the special effects. And Industrial Light and Magic is once again on board, and they sort of had a chip on their shoulder going into this movie because they were very proud of the work that they did on Curse of the Black Pearl with the skeletons and going in and out of the moonlight. And it just happened to be that they were nominated the same year as Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which was going to sweep every award including visual effects so they had a chip on their shoulders like okay let's make this let's let's get to the next level here let's do something even bigger and so the main things that they had to really work on with this movie and then the main tools that they were very excited to work with are the characters of davy jones and the character of the kraken so starting let's start with the kraken mm. which is very interesting for the team because it was one of those situations where they were new. They're like, okay, we kind of have to base it on sort of octopus, right? They, they knew about the Kraken of legend, octopuses and squids, but they were like, well, there's no real, like, how would a squid, how would an octopus, like, a giant one move about? How would it kind of interact with a ship? There was no, like, research they could do. There was no, like, point of reference. That was until the animation director of the project, Hal Hinkle sat the crew down to watch the classic Toho feature, King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> and specifically the sequence in that movie where a real life octopus goes over a bunch of miniatures and eventually fights King Kong. Mm -hmm. Right. So they very much kind of took a lot of inspiration from the look of that movie and sort of used that very basic you know, 60s Toho live octopus on miniatures stuff to really kind of imagine how the Kraken would move and, and interact with objects much smaller than it. So they kind of, you know, used a lot of uh, effects on set to kind of complement the Kraken destroying ships, uh, specifically with the, the first major sequence with the Kraken, the Enbird Trader. Um, they decided to uh, actually destroy kind of the ship they were using. They used pipes filled with 30,000 pounds of, of cement to kind of uh, replicate what the Kraken's, you know, tentacles smashing down on the, uh, on the ship would be like. Though a lot of it was still done on blue screen as well. 
Uh, so a lot of the stuff with the stuff later in the movie with the Kraken and sort of the actual interacts with the Kraken among the main crew were done on blue screen. Though I can say that when Jack Sparrow gets, you know, yelled, roared at and all the goop gets on him, that is practical. That is all. They just shot a bunch of Nickelodeon slime on him. But Davy Jones is the main the main yeah. attraction in terms of special effects on this movie. Yeah. And, and and his crew and, and his, his whole his whole crew. crew. Yes, that's yeah. true. Like the whole Dutchman angle of it. Uh, Davy Jones, they originally designed him with just chin growths before the Industrial Light and Magic team was like, no, let's go full squid. Let's go full tentacles. Let's let's go full out on this because that's what they, again, they had the chip on their shoulder. They wanted to show that they were the best in the game, right? Especially, we've talked about a lot about Industrial Light and Magic and, and stuff over the course of these, you know, couple of series. But to think that, you know, they were the main game in town for a long time. And now this other company in New Zealand called Weather Digital was taking a lot of the spotlight from them. And it was a true sort of rivalry between these two studios. Like we need to show people that we are still the premier effects studio in Hollywood. So they're like, let's go all in and let's make Davy Jones one of the great best things we've ever done at this studio. So they decided to go with the full blown the tentacles on his face and go full sort of motion capture and CG uh, with him, especially with with Jones and and Nahi's willingness to go into the, the the performance capture to really kind of make it something special. Um, the skin of the character was sort of influenced by um, a coffee uh, coffee stained styrofoam cup, <laughs> um, so that they kind of took pictures of it and kind of take the color and kind of matted it onto uh, the the character. Um, Nye also wore the eye makeup and the mouth makeup, uh, specifically because the people at Industrial Light Magic weren't exactly sure how the the eyes would be captured, and that they needed to get close ups of the eyes for capture and the mouth, the mouth for capture, the insert on Jones that they could, but they ended up not needing to. That the the motion capture technology was effective enough on its own that they were able to just kind of use the actual shots without needing to get any additional ones of his eyes and uh his mouth and and it's similarly with Depp uh in the first movie one of the things about the animators what they really appreciated about Nye is Nye decided to make his performance a little bit more off kilter and quirky than maybe most people expected you know with the with the mouth blips and everything like that that uh and and the the cadence and everything that he has it really allowed the team at Industrial Light and Magic to really sort of showcase emotion with the character because it was to an extent exaggerated. So as we know, motion capture, very much a lot of it is you do the base motion capture and then there's, a, there's this additional animation after that. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that Nahi gave a big performance and, and gave a lot of the little quirks and in, in, tweaks and nuances at the get the that we know davy jones for it really allowed the animators at industrial light metro to go whole ham on that animation process and kind of match nice performance um much of the time the the tentacles were actually simulation uh which was again very much notable uh in cg animation is part of it is just simulation i mean you know we famous stories of making monsters inc just a couple years before this and like you would do hair simulations on sully and his hair would be going all over the place you kind of have to like work the system to simulate 
very similar technology on CG had gotten better by this point from 2001 to 2005 and was only going to get crazier. Uh, but a lot of it was able just to be simple simulation with a couple of actual animation bits on the tentacles uh, themselves. So mostly when he's actually using them as sort of limbs or if he's like grabbing something that would be animated. Most of the time when he's just kind of talking, the tentacles would just be a simulated force. Yeah, I mean, I think we're underselling how phenomenal Oh this yeah, I was going to talk about this more in the movie. This holds yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to well. save for the movie. But th- th- what my input on this is that the VFX work in this film is so incredible and cr- criminally under talked about. Mm. As like, I mean, in many ways, like you know, he's like the proto. He's he, he's like the proto Thanos in terms of like a charismatic actor bringing to life a CG character. Yeah, like you know, and you even have like you know the 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 apes work too with Andy Circus and and everything. Um, and yeah, and then you're no, you're going to get Gollum and I, all the circus work that you know he does. But there's just something very specific about like somebody re- like the level of artistry done to make this character come to life and to integrate him into the into the set i mean the fact that they 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 shoot even some of the motion capture on location is crazy like yeah, you know it's yeah, just, it, 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 and like, it's it really it's is mind-boggling how good yeah I, we can kind of start getting into it a little bit when we get to the movie but i think really i think what makes it so distinct is the unique look of the Jones character, right? Because I think even with you know Gollum, when we talk about the apes, when we talk about King Kong from the, the King Kong from the previous year, and even going into Thanos, there's there's that kind of very humanoid element to all of them, right? Like especially when you're doing the ape stuff and when you're doing Gollum. Whereas I think like there's just a thing about Jones just having the the very distinctive squid face, right? Mm-hmm. And like how his lips look and just this whole aesthetic just makes it even more impressive uh, from that that point. I think that's what you're right, makes it impressive, because it really is like some sort of creature out of fantasy. You're right. Like you can tell, like it's funny now that you say that and you look at that and all the other, like the crew members, you can tell that ILM was like, you know, we're we're throwing the kitchen sink at this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and they had so much fun with... Like, this movie has so many expensive shots. It does. Because I think that's what sometimes people don't know about. Like, I mean, everybody knows the VFX are expensive. But I'm just like, that guy in the background, like Crab Face back there, like Coral Face back there, he's, he's out of frame. He's out of shot a little bit, or he's in the background, out of focus. That's money right there. That's that, money to, that they have. Because you spend. have to, you have to animate him, and then you have to put him out of focus. Yes, like, that's the thing. Yeah. Especially because they're not like you know those guys are not, um, you know, on set at most of the you know it's like they're very much like almost fully kind of CG. A lot of them are fully CG characters. Mm-hmm. Like they're not you know not without the motion capture element to to aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when you put someone in the background and, and out of focus, uh, a CG character, you have to like purposely make that character out of focus and, and manipulate and, and, and simulate camera 
right? And you have to match it with what, what was shot, especially when you do have Jones on set, you know, and, and Bill Nye on set for a lot of these shots, right? You know, that you're not doing it all on, on, on green, blue screen and green screen and everything like that. It's just like, it, it's just every, and every shot looks great. And in fact, when I was rewatching it today or like yesterday, I thought that the stuff in the day looks even better than the stuff at night. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. Yeah, because like that's, that, like the, that's the, always a big like, you know, oh, people do CG at night and stuff like that. That's always a complaint that like, oh, you're going to do these big things at night because it makes it easier to look better. And but... it just feel like it almost feels like it's a CG character wearing real clothes, like the clothes on like it's just. Yeah, it's a triumph of of a it, 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 it truly is. Yeah. It truly is. And it holds up extremely well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. like when you watch it today, it, it still looks like, you know, on par with the stuff that we see with like Thanos. And oh, stuff yeah. Later. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's almost like um, unbelievable that this was done before really this type of motion capture work really took the scene. Right. And when you think about like the just the progression, you know, the very quick progression of computer effects. Mm-hmm from this this era right like i always think about like you know like obviously we're talking about these cg animations but when you when you look at like monsters inc versus monsters university like they're two very different very different movies and i feel like the same way it's like so much of cg has like just gotten better and better and better and it's just incredible that davy jones continues to be one of the top examples of it well it's of all funny. time you, you talk about the animation thing i mean the, the good example of that really is to see the progression of what the toy story movie yes i mean that's like, like the the two i just i, I kind of had i guess monsters inc on the brain yeah. but yeah toy story one versus toy stories three and four yeah. are like like there's monumentally scene, different the, the scene in toy story four which is like the opening flashback or whatever where they're still in Andy's room. So you're basically in the same space that was in the first movie. So then you can really compare mm-hmm. like w- just how far the animation and the techniques have come. Yeah. So, and yeah, and it, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. no, it's just, it's just like, it really is just interesting to, to track that history of, mm-hmm. of CG and this style of effect work. But again, it's just very distinct that a film from 2006 still manages to impress how will it impress in other man, other measures? Does it hold up in other regards? Let's hit the quote and then we'll discuss the actual film of Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Let's do it. Oh. You have a debt to pay. You've been captain of the Black Pearl for 13 years. That was our agreement. Technically, I was only captain for two years, then I was viciously mutinied upon. Then you were a poor captain, but a captain nonetheless. Have you not introduced yourself all these years as Captain Jack Sparrow? <laughs> you have my payment. One soul to serve on your ship is already over there. One soul is not equal to another. Aha! So we've established my proposal is sound in principle, now we're just haggling over price. Price. Just how many souls do you think my soul is worth? One hundred souls. Three days. You're a diamond, mate. Send me back the boy, I'll get started right off. Ah, 
I keep the boy. A good faith payment. That leaves you only 99 more to go. <laughs> Have you not met Will Turner? He's noble, heroic, terrific soprano. Worth at least four. Maybe three and a half. And did I happen to mention he's in love with a girl? Due to be married. Betrothed. Dividing him from her and her from him would only be half as cruel as actually allowing them to be joined in holy matrimony. Hey. I keep the boy 99 souls. But I wonder, Sparrow, can you live with this? Can you condemn an innocent man, a friend, to a lifetime of solitude in your name while you roam free? Yep, I'm good with it. Shall we seal it in blood? I mean, ink. All right, Pirates of the Caribbean, the second film in this franchise, Dead Man's Chest. Um, as I mentioned at the top, it's a long movie. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a, it's, it's, it's long. It's a pretty long movie. Yeah. But it is a very, it's again, a very nostalgic experience for me. Just again, how important this film is in regards. And it was, in, it's interesting. Again, this is why I like doing the Bonzilla stuff. And I like doing these films in order and, and, and in this style that we do, because it is always interesting to really see how this franchise, a franchise just has an evolution, especially when you dissect it and talked about it. And because I think what's really interesting to me, and this is kind of also kind of thinking about, and eventually it'll be interesting to 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 get this whole trilogy under belt when we watch at um, at World's End next time. It is interesting because like knowing, obviously having watched the first one recently enough, and my memories and, and, and sort of the where the characters go in that third one. What's very interesting about Dead Man's Chest, just from the classic just a classic trilogy perspective is it's one of those middle trilogy films that very plot heavy at times and very much a film that's setting up a lot of things that will be you know eventually talked about at the end of this movie but also into the next film and a lot of character arcs and a lot of character moments that pay off once you get to that third movie it's a movie that i still enjoy the hell out of and i think has a lot of strong highlights but i think it's very distinctive how of the three, this is the one where some of sort of, again, we're setting up a lot of character stuff that gets paid off in the third one. So a lot of the character stuff is maybe not as strong as I think the uh, stuff in the other two can be. But I think that the characters are still a lot of fun to be around. I think that you're introducing a lot of really fun new lore. The action sequences are still like kind of top tier, crazy, nonsense, Pirates of the Caribbean stuff at this point. I think I still really enjoy the hell out of this movie. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think I'm a little bit on the opposite side, being that specifically that I think I'm a little bit more favorable towards it in the sense that I, I, I actually think it's the third one that kind of fits more along the lines of what you're saying in terms of where I think th that's where things get a little bit more off the rails or yeah. i should say like it starts it's it starts wobbling on the train track despite me also liking that one quite a bit but 
to me like this is like the last like really good pirates movie like you know obviously the first one's perfect and i think this one is really i think this one is still really good mm -hmm. now the, the difference between the two is that the, the only thing against it is that it's not dead man's chest is not quite as propulsive and engrossing as the first one is no like it, it's not as like and it's also not as tight by nature of the one thing you did kind of mention or alluded to was that this is the movie where all right now all the gears are turning and there's multiple like spinning parts like you know taking place and you know it was interesting because hearing the commentary um uh they talked a lot about how that there were times in which they did have to rein things in to explain all right this is what the movie is because there's there's a few points like you, you're not really sure what's happening <laughs> like or like because you know in the other one it was like all right the curse of the black pearl there's like a, a ship and then there's a curse and they're trying to lift it it's pretty much straight and then they build up to that but in this one it's Jack is after a key. All right, Jack has to escape. Okay, now Jack's after a chest. And it's like, okay, well then, now he's not after the chest anymore. Maybe he's after getting a hundred souls. Oh wait, he is actually going after, you know what I mean? And then now yeah. you have the stuff with, you know, the East Indian Trading Company and, and- uh, Will and Elizabeth's marriage happens, yeah. it has to happen. And then and, Bill, like, and, and then and, now you and, got Davy Jones and- and, and, and it only yeah. gets crazier. And in the Norrington next one. comes back, right? Norrington comes right, and then it like, and so that's really kind of, and I don't know if it hurts this movie, but it is definitely the thing that prevents it from being like the same engrossing. Of, yeah, yeah, because I think because it's especially because well, one I, I want to mention is that like I'm only basing it on kind of my memories of that uh, at World's End, which I have not really seen i've kind of been saving it for this trilogy oh, yeah. so i'll be interested I've seen to see these movies so many times i'll be interested to see if my memories of how character stuff pays off if it actually you know holds up in that respect but we're not talking about that movie we're talking about this movie and i think one of the big things about that the lack of propulsion is definitely like you kind of have the excitement at the beginning you know with the with the cannibal island and they're you know escaping from that and that again that kind of sequence and then you have sort of the the um, the dead man's chest sequence at the end of the movie, the three way sword fight, which we'll, we'll talk about in the and everything like that. But the, a lot of the middle of the movie is sort of like again putting characters into different pieces and places, and sort of again, you know, Sparrow trying to extend his life, you know, Will getting stuck on the on the Dutchman, um, you know, kind of the uh, everything like that, like Elizabeth trying to get to everywhere, it's trying to still get characters connected mm -hmm. and and sort of really set things up for the finale of the film and and that's where kind of the lack of propulsion kind of goes especially when there's a lot more like listen i can i can listen to gibbs pull exposition on pirate lore for all eternity but there's kind of a lot of those types of moments where he's explaining the kraken he's explaining davy jones and then davy jones is explaining this part and bootstrap bill is explaining liar's dice and it's like there's a lot of like things where movement is kind of happening hmm. very slow pace to get us to a finale and also a lot of that stuff in the middle of the movie to be quite frankly is really setting up stuff that's going to be paid off in that world's end like a lot of the little pieces of the journey that's going to happen 
of like where what will what's going to happen to will and like elizabeth's journey and you know even stuff with sparrow just trying to like live another day a lot of that stuff is stuff that yes does get paid off to an extent at the end of this movie but it's really setting up their larger arcs that kind of end the trilogy to an yeah, extent. Yeah, I, I, I still, I, I still think that, I still think I feel a little bit differently because I still feel like my, like one of the biggest compliments I actually do give the movie is that it, it you know, it is kind of like it has a part three on its mind. But for me, I, I still to this day feel that it doesn't feel like it's very comparable to Empire Strikes Back in which it doesn't really feel like, oh, it's leading up to a part three until maybe like the last 20, 15, 20 minutes. I think that's a very fair movie. point too. Yeah, because I kind of, it's kind of like a different thing when you're watching it with the knowledge of that, what, what that yeah. third one ends up being because I kind of think I'm going with that. But I think, I actually do think on its own that you're very much right that I think it still leaves a lot like in that ending to kind of okay we're leading on to a third one but the the main movement it's not like well up until yeah. up, up until like you kind of realize it's not going to work out for the characters yes that's the part when now you know that there's a part three coming yes because so here's my and this is kind of what I, I i had hinted at before we uh in the in the first part of the show that i had no clue that there was going to be a, a follow-up to this when i saw this so I went into the theater and I'm watching it. And then in the last like 15 minutes when, you know, they're fighting the Kraken and they, you know, they go through two rounds with him and then they're like, well, we got to leave. There's no way we can win. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess they have to escape. And then, you know, she chains him up to the thing and I'm like, okay, well, he's got to get out of this. Like this was my honest thought to watching the movie, and then when the the Kraken gets him and, and they and he brings the thing the the ship down, I was generally like, "What? <laughs> you can't end the movie like this!" Like I was shocked, and it will never happen again. Because no, there's no way that I'll not know that there's another movie coming. But I had zero clue that there was a third movie in production. So then, when the ending of this like when this happened it was like i guess i felt like the way that a lot of people felt when they watched empire in theaters for the first time that like it, it isn't like i thought i was watching just this fun standalone edition and then all of a sudden it's like holy shit there's a part three so and i feel that that feeling somewhat maintains to this day where i really do feel like it, it really there's no reason to suspect that there's a part three coming other until it doesn't work out. No, I, mean, I think I feel like it tells its story quite well. I think it does, especially because again, with all the different focuses, eventually you do kind of really do focus it on the dead man's chest. Yeah. And that's still at the end of the day, what everybody's after when you figure it out. Okay. That's what Jack's after. That's what the East India trading company's after. Um, everybody's after sort of this sort of chest that, you know, has some connection to, to Davy Jones. And I think that that's really the nice singular focus that you don't really get a lot of the elements that do end up coming up in that world's end that, you know, those aren't specifically hinted at. I just think more from a character perspective, yeah. I think you're well, kind of, I leading. mean, it is funny to go back and look at that. Like pretty much anything Tia Dalma does is now hilarious. Now that you know where the story goes and it's like interesting, you kind of have that retroactive context. I mean, and it's, I think it's, it's interesting because it, yeah, especially because you do, 
I mean, that's the sort of stuff where they do actually sort of like put a few little teases into yeah. what her eventual the eventual reveal of her character is. Mm-hmm. Like there are kind of like when you look back and it's like, okay, well, there's like the locket thing. Her her talk like when Gibbs is like, you know, when she's he's talking about Davy Jones and and Gibbs is like, I heard it was the C. It's like it's both at the same time. It's like, well, yeah, I guess that is kind of the truth of it. Right, right, right. Um, but but even yeah. like the way she taught, like she when she tells the story and like you know she's talking about like oh the lo- like you know this is what happened to him. But but the performance reads differently when you know she's also talking about spoilers herself. Yes. Um. So that's the other thing. The other thing I wanted to mention because it is a long movie. I actually kind of forgot about how long it was. Um. But it's just a lot happens, and I think it's kind of like a microcosm of why I do like the entire trilogy is because they just go for it. They just like, yeah, it's a movie where you're not going to see the main villain of the movie until an hour in. Mm-hmm. It's that type of movie. There very much is a lot of Elliot and Rocio in this film. Yeah. This is, I, I, I think, I mean, I think to a degree, at World's End is more of an Elliot and Rocio film because there's a lot more weirdo stuff in that movie. Yes, yeah, I agree. But I agree. but a lot of like what makes Elliot and Rocio Elliot and Rocio appears in this movie. And a lot of it is they usually have a lot of ideas and they like throw in as much of it to the wall as they can. Yeah. A funny story about them writing this movie. There's we'll talk about because it it's the begin it's the opening scene. There's the scene at the beginning of the movie where you know we we open up on sort of the rainy ruined wedding of elizabeth and will turner and we get these shots of like you know soldiers uh coming into boats and like you know marching through port royal and there's a very distinctive shot of like a a guy on a horse in a boat and yeah, they tell this story in the in the. The concert. whole thing about that section is that it was an idea that they had for the Mask of Zorro for the introduction of a, a villainous character in that film, and that was kind of that movie for too much time, like too too expensive and too crazy. Then they wrote it into this film, and it was going to get cut out for the same one, uh, uh, because of budget and because the the film's historian said it would be suicide to put a horse on a boat. But then Gore promised them, hey, I'm going to I'm going to try to shoot the scene for you. And he got it. They like they had to do a lot of training. But that to me is like very definitive what Elliot and Rocio are as writers mm-hmm. is that they are good. They have these ideas and these especially these very visual ideas that just stick with them. And that they kind of have to put in the movie like so, another. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say another. This will be the new running gag of like at least like the next maybe one or two episodes of talking about pirates is that and i and i use this word lovingly but there are it's the all right this is part of the decline <laughs> this is <laughs> and i and i use that for lack of a better term because and i i don't know like your your mileage on this may vary and it doesn't really i i don't view it as much of a, as a negative but the one thing there's all there's something about all these movies that kind of spell out okay this is where this franchise is gonna go and not necessarily for the better um and the one thing about this one is that this one is 
has moments and things in it that are silly. Whereas I never felt that way about the first one. Mm -hmm. And I still have fun with it, but there are, there's lots of things when you're like, okay, we're, 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 we're being silly now. Yeah. And it's fine. And it's great. But like, you know, like at one point, Jack is in a fruit kebab for some reason. <laughs> well, I think it's like that's when it starts to get really cartoony, right? Because that's, that's what I mean. It, it gets silly. Right. He's in the fruit kebab. And then like the thing is that he hit like that whole sequence. I want to talk about it more. But that whole sequence, like he's in the fruit kebab. And then like he falls and hits like 20 bridges. Right. Like it's yeah. right. out. It's straight out of like a Looney Tunes and, cartoon. And I get that the bridges are breaking the fall a little bit, but he should be dead. Yeah. <laughs> like he hits that. But there is definitely so hard. I, I mean, mean, even like when dead. you look at like, um, it's, it reminds me a lot of, because like, obviously we continue this trill, like these films and Rocio and Elliot are up to, I think on stranger tides is, is the last one they do. Um, but, they also, I mean, this crew also comes back together to do the Lone Ranger, and that very much has a lot of these same sort of elements in this movie, too. And I kind of think about those all films together and how you do kind of get, again, the, the sillier and bigger stuff, which, you know, is kind of, I, I just associate a lot of that with when, when it's Elliot and Rocio on their own, right? Mm -hmm. when, they're yeah, not, yeah. Re, when they're not rewriting someone else's scripts, because that's always been my take on Elliot and Rocio as writers. I always find that their films are, at a whole better when they're rewriting someone else's ideas and that mm -hmm. they can, it can add the little bits of stuff that make them really good writers. Cause I do think they, they're not bad writers in the sense that like, you know, they have really good ideas for character concepts. They have really good ideas for emotional stuff with characters. They do generally write funny lines, funny moments um, with characters and, and really explore sort of the fun of dialogue. But I kind of think about like, there's that stuff. And I think like, this is the movie where, you know, Jack did a little bit of the like the tricky, the tricky like dialogue stuff in the first movie. But within the first like 30 minutes, he does like the like talking over himself, like in circles thing to like three different characters. And it's so like, I, yeah, I, I here's the next big thing I want to talk like I want to talk about Jack and where Johnny Depp's Jack is in his decline. <laughs> I, I, that's what I want to talk about because I don't think it's ever bad in like in the these the original trilogy of films. Yeah, but nothing is ever quite like how that character is in the first film. Well, it really is like when you really go back and watch that first one, and I didn't talk about this that much in the last one, but it really is distinctive. I think you can definitely tell that the role in the first one was not written to be tailored to what the performance Johnny Depp was going to give. Mm -hmm. If you remember, that was supposed to be like a Hugh Jackman type of role, right? He was supposed to be another suave pirate. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Depp brought all this weirdness to him elevated that role. Once you get past that first movie, though, now when you're writing new original material for Depp to do, now you're kind of leaning into the more bigger and for lack of a better word, cartoonier elements of the character. And I think that's where it happens, right? This, this Jack is written for Depp's performance. And I think that's where you're allowing Depp to kind of really be the crazy Jack Sparrow character that like is becomes kind of a parody of itself once he doesn't have 
an Elizabeth or a Will to play off of mm-hmm. in the later movies. So it, it kind of is an interesting thing where you kind of look at that first one and it kind of is, despite Depp's crazy performance, that first that first Jack is much more grounded and down to earth just because that's not, was not the intention of the character. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I agree with the writing, but in a different way, because I think a lot of it now is Depp leaning into it. Yeah. A lot. The, the, the character for me in this movie, which is still great, but you, I do notice in this movie that you remember how we talked about in the first film, it's like he he has like a lot of quirks and like, you know, and there's a little bit of a sense that like, you know, something's a little bit off about him. But he always was like in control of everything. He was so competent. Like, mm-hmm. and that's why he was a legend. Like, yeah, he was kind of like always thrown like a bum hand. But the fact that he is so competent is, is like kind of the reason he can get out of situations, even if he does embellish the tales as it were whereas like i just find in this film there's just there's they're starting to implement one too many times where he's just kind of an idiot yeah (laughs) and and it doesn't help that they place him in a story where he's constantly on like the back foot like he's he's constantly like like um in in a compromising situation. Yeah. Well, in, I guess, in a way yeah. that's not like the whole, like, oh, you do that for dramatic, so it's dramatically interesting. Yeah. You just like, there's very few times, I'm trying to think of anything, but there's very few times that remind me of his his competency in the in the previous film. Right. Cause I think there's like the argument to be made that like again, it's just the different directions of the character, but there is sort of like he really is you're, it's almost weird because it's like the second time we're seeing this character and you're kind of like well this is the one situation that he like can't really escape is like you know death or whatever because like right, you know the, I get whole, that aspect the, of the whole yeah. the whole thing is just like you know he's been marked to, to Davy Jones and his whole journey in this movie in particular is he's just trying to escape death for, or he's trying to escape you know the servitude so it's like okay well he thinks that having the heart will help, but then he like, you know, he extends his thing by the hundred souls thing. Like, but you're just constantly putting Sparrow in a position where he kind of has to be on the run. He kind of has to like be in that flight fight or flight sort of like just coming up with some nonsense on the fly mode because, you know, he's going to die, you know, essentially yeah, like if he I doesn't. Mean, and, and they talk about this, the, you know, they, I mean, in the making of the film, they do talk about the, the the whole kind of underlying theme of the film is that that really leads into the third one is that the world is becoming smaller and there's like nowhere for him to run. And he is in a position where, you know, um, it's kind of like what they say to Han Solo in The Force Awakens, like there, there's there's n- there's nowhere else left for you to go. Like you've crossed and dealt with too many people. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. I think at times they don't quite nail. I just feel like at times in this film that it, it, it comes at the cost of the character. Like instead of it being a dramatically interesting thing, it just constantly puts him like um, makes him look like he doesn't know what he's. Yeah, doing. no, it, it, there's definitely those he's, moments. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's just kind of like happy. He, he, he's. And, and it's also funny that he is at the center of 
any of these events and at world's end kind of makes a joke about that like they they make a like obviously they have to get him because like he's kind of their buddy and you know he's the main character of these movies but they do make a joke about like it, it really isn't entirely <laughs> they rescue him because it is him but it is funny that these stories like focus on him so much and i think it's mitigated by the fact that these films are a big epic and are just as much about the other characters because yeah, that's where that's where, like, especially four, and I mean, I really haven't yeah, seen four and five, five go off. That's the but, big but that, but the problem with yeah. those films is that Depp is the main character, right? Like, mm-hmm. and you don't have like, because the thing that's the thing about especially going back to like where Will and Elizabeth are, and I think you kind of, I do think you kind of set them up on interesting paths in this movie because obviously, like Will, you have the reconnection with his father and that whole situation and sort of like what his life is going to be going forward. And I've actually think that, especially knowing what happens with Elizabeth in that last movie and like Mm -hmm. what direction her character goes sort of this, like this thing where her character, you know, she had her flirtation with the pirate thing. She always had her interest in the pirate thing, but she's ready to kind of not be, you know, become like a housewife or anything, but like, you know, to settle down with Will and like have his her own adventures with him. And it's kind of be, back into the pirate life and sort of mm-hmm. convincing herself that she is not that person but she really is a pirate at heart and that's who she is i think that does set up like an interesting journey for her even though like these characters too again there's like a little bit of some i don't want to say backburning, but it's just because so much is going on you're only spending so much time well, with all these characters especially yeah. because they're all in di- for, for a majority of the movie everybody's in different locations because that's the whole thing about that first one too is right like Will and Jack are together for most of the movie. Then you have Elizabeth and Barbosa together for most of the movie. Then you kind of are flip flopping, and you're you're always having characters together. Where it's like uh, Jack's on his own for a little bit, Elizabeth's on her own for a while, Will is on his own at the Flying Dutchman. You know, Cutler Beckett's doing his own thing. Every, you know, everybody's kind of like away so you're kind of really having to cut between all these different stories and all these different you know plots and how they are maneuvering into each other whereas like even like in the third one you know that you kind of have that core group together for a a much bigger amount of time Mm -hmm. that you kind of like are still playing off each other so that's i think that's where i think where it's like that's why i feel sometimes this film is like more plot heavy just because you are kind of going between the different characters and then you have to get the exposition about what's going on in their location and and how they're handling it and everything well this is and this is going to sound really lame but i'm going to make this kind of statement about the this this movie and thus the trilogy is that in a way the epic, the story of it, the adventure of these movies is the main character. Really, truly, yes. Especially like the last two, for sure. Yeah, because when you think about it, and that's why it's like there's almost this cultural like um, confusion, I think, with these movies is because Johnny Depp is good in this role and he is the, 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 the icon, the iconic character of this role. But if you watch any of these movies, and I know this is skipping ahead to the third one, so I won't press on it too much, but it is a character who, out of the main characters, doesn't really change. Like, he is more of a force that you track throughout the movies, and he's always the guy who he's like, he's out for himself until he's not. 
because he's a good guy. Like, and you mostly, the characters you do change are the Wills and the Elizabeths. Uh, like, it's more about that. And then so, but because it's a big ensemble and, you know, it shares screen time between static characters and dynamic characters, both of which are entertaining, it really puts it in a position where the story itself is kind of like the the main character in a yes. weird way. Yes. Um, but, For sure. Yeah, because so that, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. especially because the adventure and like again, like the, the 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 real you know once you get to the actual action sequences, like those remain like very distinctive pirates sequences, right? Because we have this right, whole right. the whole situation of this movie, right? Is at the beginning of the movie. We're introduced to Lord Cutler Beckett, mm-hmm, who right. interrupts the meeting, the wedding, you know, the rained out wedding of Elizabeth and Will to arrest them for aiding in the escape of Jack Sparrow. And essentially, like, he's going to blackmail Will into, like, I need Sparrow's compass. Um, and I need to, like, I, I need that if you want to get free. I need Sparrow. I need his compass. And... Sparrow, meanwhile, is looking for a key, which is eventually revealed to be like related to Davy Jones because he's visited by bootstrap Bill Turner and basically like, hey, like your time's up, you're marked, you have to be part of Davy Jones's crew. And then that's basically where the story goes from there. It's just Will's looking for Jack, Jack's looking to escape. And Elizabeth is basically like, again, sort of like, you can't keep me here. Like, I'm a strong person i'm gonna do my own thing for jack and because i like him i like will so Mm. that's really the thing um we mentioned it during the preamble but the the lord cutler beckett character is a really good addition to these two films yeah yeah yeah. like a frustrating character but like a really good addition i i I like that like he's kind of the one now he kind of what i what i do like about it in retrospect too is like he does have that quality of like jack in that first movie where like even when it doesn't look like he's in control, he knows he's in control. Right. Like he has the scene with Elizabeth when Elizabeth sneaks out of like, you know, trying to escape, mm-hmm. you know, or, or her father's trying to get her to escape, um, which Jeffrey, uh, you know, um, he doesn't, he doesn't have too much to do, but uh, uh, Price has some fun, really fun moments in this movie um returning as the governor but like the scene where elizabeth you know is like brings the gun and he's like like i'm gonna warn you about the ila del morta like i i don't you know you don't want to get that treasure it's going to be bad for you and he's like oh i see so you think i'm after aztec gold like that's not my interest i right, i don't right. need that the that you don't you think you do think the compass just points there and i think that there's that stuff where it's just like he's just he has this level of like Again, like he kind of knows that, like he has the power. Mm-hmm. He still has yeah. the power over her, even if with the gun to her face, it's like nothing's going to happen until, like you know, he gets what he wants. And I think that's what kind of makes the character interesting. Also, he has that weirdo henchman guy that, like, has oh, slick back. Mercer, I believe his name is. Yeah. He has weirdo slick back hair and a perpetual angry I face. Him. I hate him. <laughs> I, I, I don't like him. I mean, he's good. He's good in the movie, but like, I, I hate yeah. that character. Uh, but but I think it's just a good addition because I think it's also a character that everybody's gonna have beef with, right? Even once you get to like Davy Jones, like Davy Jones is gonna have beef with him eventually. Jack has beef with him. They've had run-ins in the past. Will well, has. I mean, Elizabeth it's has, just like, setting up the. Of course, it, it's setting up the. E, it's an easy setup, but it's like 
here's the it's the he's the establishment man right. and, and you're encroaching in on my rock and roll magical lifestyle bro <laughs> like, I mean, that's I mean, like what these movies are but it is it's to. like again this is really about like hey like pirates are maybe not great people but there is that element of freedom it's that it's just it is a classic sort of freedom versus the establishment but the establishment is much more corrupt than the bad pirates guys and it's very easy but it just makes for a very easily like hateable villain which i will i will say that i don't think i think the this movie is smart enough to know how heavily to lean into that because a lot of this context is way more for the next film yeah because i i, I think that they just portray the east indian trading company as a reality of the world rather than an actual antagonistic force right and it, yeah and i think that they yes it's true and i think that they do it just enough of the hinting right when, we, when he scoffs at freedom and he's like looking at the porn is like the world is getting smaller the 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 the, the various sections of the map are getting filled in right like mm -hmm. he kind of has those brief moments and like the 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 hints that he's after something bigger especially when he's talking about like I'm not after Aztec gold. I'm after something much more valuable, you know? And well, and that's why I think the way in which this is a part, like a middle chapter, is done well because all of this stuff is still only maintaining to the events of the film yes. relevant to now. So none of this actually feels like because it would be easy for I'm after something bigger. What is it? I'll never tell. Like, it's not like you'll have to yeah. wait for part three to find out, but like it's 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 made it's that's all kind of understood within this this story and i think that that's well done mm -hmm. yes i agree um because the main like again the main just right now is at that point is like will is like hey you'll get these pardons if you find jack and he goes off to find jack and he talks to everybody about jack eventually he finds a captain who likes long pork mm -hmm. which is a euphemism for human flesh mm -hmm. and they find him on I, there's no cannibal other name island kind of, there's no other name for it than cannibal island it's yeah, just cannibal it's cannibal island. island which is kind of a payoff to like and then they made me their chief from the first mm -hmm. movie where jack finds himself as the chief of these cannibals but at the same time is also trapped because they're going to eat him mm -hmm. as well because he they god again i will never get enough of gibbs just like explaining lore because he's just like no, Jack's not safe either because they think of him as the god and they're going to release him from his fleshy prison. And what happened to the rest of the crew? These bone cages weren't made before. Like, you know, these bone yeah. cages were made after we got here. And it's like, I, we'll I, and, and it's so funny because this whole, all, the entire Cannibal Island portion of the film, because really at the end of the day, the, what, what's the biggest thing other than it's fun? Like the biggest thing that you learn is like, oh, Jack isn't, isn't, safe at sea and he's not safe on land either like his options are very limited i just think it's funny that it's a huge portion of the movie just to get across that plot point so like it's it, it's quite a bit and, but it's still, and again I mean, but it's the commitment that the fact that the commitment to making this an epic is i'm always it's, it's the commitment to just making that sequence big even though it doesn't need to be like you have right. the rolling the the whole like the whole thing where and the the Zimmer's music choice when they're swinging, like the the whimsical oh, swinging, the waltz. yeah, the yeah. whimsical waltz sequence. Yeah, apparently, and then, apparently they had to fight for that one. Apparently, like I think Brookheimer was not sure. And, yeah, and then they won. Oh, they it's won great. The but then they're doing the like climbing thing and the brief joke about like 
you, you actually only need six people, like maybe at most to, 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 to do the, to do the pearl. And they're all like racing for each other. Then they fall because of the snake. Then the bone cage rolling. It's just like, that's the thing. Right. And like, with Zimmer's score and like the very distinctive, like which now become the Jack Sparrow theme um, as it's on like the, the soundtrack as, as the Jack Sparrow theme that the, da, 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 you know, that whole sequence, you know, he's running about, he's, you know, showering himself with paprika, like all the other cannibals like run away when they find out the, the rest of their like meal have like run away from them. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just a long, silly, fun, it's fun. sequence. It's fun. And it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to watch. And then at that point, that's when we're, we're, we're absolutely wonderfully reintroduced to Pintel and Rigetti with, with one of their most classic bits about the Bible, mm-hmm. about like how you get, like, you can't read, like, he's like, I'm trying to read the Bible. Like we, we're not immortal anymore. We have to, <laughs> we have to, you know, atone for our, 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 our mortal selves, our yeah. mortal souls. Which is the running gag throughout this film is that they're always like trying to morally justify everything that they yeah. do. It's but there's like, really you can't funny. even read. Well, it's the Bible. You get credit for trying. Yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> and the same thing, yeah, when they, when they come across the pearl, it's like, we're not stealing it. We're just, you know, we're like, you know. Uh, I forget what they say at that one. That one, yeah. that one's I remember just... later on in the movie, it's like, well, it's like we would be doing them a favor by taking away the temptation of the, of the chest. Like, so the, yeah. they're always doing stuff like that. And by the way, those two guys, well, no, top I think, notch. Yeah, I think they're like, oh, it's not stealing. It like looks like it's abandoned, and like we would just be, you know, you know, you know, using it like for, you know, for a purpose. It would just not be sitting here anymore. Yeah, but yeah, they, they're they're so good together. Yeah, no, they're great, great, um, great, great cat. And I'll, I love. I mean, the I'll, the the amount of returning characters makes me always happy. Yes, because it, it bugs me to no end when characters don't return Mm -hmm. and i know there's kind of a story behind it and there's some like you know um they play with this a little bit as we get to that part but like it always kind of bugged me that zoe saldana was not in any of these other movies yeah but i will talk about that but the the other pintel and rigetti because we kind of talked about like a lot of their their major stuff but the, the the other classic one that they have is later when they're about to get to the dead man's chest and they're debating about the pronunciation of kraken uh, which is probably my favorite bit of theirs. Yeah. And, and that, I don't know if they talked about this on the commentary at all, but um, that was very much inspired by the actual conversations happening on set. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because, uh, you know, when they do the first big monologue about what the Kraken is, when Gibbs is talking about it, he just starts saying Kraken, even though conceivably it is technically like Kraken, at least at this point in like, history i've always known it as kraken i know me too but it's just like there is like a thing where it's like i think at this point it was kraken or at least in its original pronunciation but he's just called us a kraken and everybody started calling kraken and, and elliot rocio were like no i think it is kraken i think that's like the original pronunciation but then they put that into the mouths of pentel and rigetti where it's just like i always heard it pronounced kraken hey however gibbs wants to tell the story is the way that it is is, is the problem it line. really is like yeah. that's Again, I can just hear him talk about pirate lore for the rest of my life. Like, it's just good casting. Oh, can I mention, like, speaking, because you mentioned Hans Zimmer, I, th- there's a lot of really nice little uh, themes and motifs in the score. Like, because, like, the crack, obviously there's the big Davy Jones kind of, like, a locket theme. Yes. But the, the cracking kind of has, like, a like a fun little, like, the boom, 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 boom. Yes. Like that. Yes. Like that. And and Is I it? love the, because he mentions it, he's like, the crack it, and then they play it a little bit in the background. I, I thought that was good. I think Zimmer, I, I kind of think Zimmer 
unfortunately kind of got it's funny with Zimmer because I think a lot of people now are like the jokes about Zimmer are like the bigger like base stuff that he does like mm-hmm. with like the Batman films and like the the inception and everything but he's a really good really good score mm-hmm. uh like I was um I have the Lion King Legacy collection and I was like, that has his first time they've released a full Lion King score. Mm-hmm. And that score even has a lot of like subtle thematics that you don't even realize until you like actually listen to the score, like what Simba's theme actually is and everything and how mm-hmm. they kind of play with that. And I think it's the same with these Pirates films. Like, I think there's a lot of really nice themes throughout all three of this original trilogy. And I think it's it's some of Zimmer's most fun work in, in some regards as mm-hmm. well. Um but yeah, but this is the Patel and Rigetti when they're talking about like, uh, it's like, we're not, we're not Scandinavian, are we? Like that stuff is great. Uh, but eventually like, you know, Will and Jack get together. And again, it's just the, the machinations of trying to uh, um, figure out uh, like how Jack's going to escape this fate. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then eventually then we're introduced to Tia Dalma. Yes, we are. Great addition. Do you not like Tia Dalma? No, no, I think she, I like her a lot. I do uh, think that this character ends up becoming the most divisive part of these movies. Like, cause I hear a lot. Oh of people, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. A lot of people do not like, like this edition. I think it really oh, works. Really? In I, this didn't, movie. I, I didn't know. I didn't know uh, People, people are very, I guess it really has to do more. I, I think people are fine with her in this movie. I think it really has to do with where her character ends up. Well, in the third one again, is I when think we get to the third one, there is a very specific choice that both you and I, I think, are very much on the same page about. But we we'll get to that. Um, um, but no, in this movie, I think she's 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 got a very nice weird energy, oh, and she's I think so. It, she she just like she's just so engrossed in that character. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like funny because it's like it's one of those things where I guess there was a while where I didn't make the connection that you know she was money penny like not like but i knew before this i watched this watch but there was a little bit before where i was like oh like that's that's her because it's just like it's such a distinctive unique performance and also i guess like when you're kids you don't really consider what sometimes like with those types of characters you don't really consider what else they're in Mm -hmm. until like much later like in life when you're like into filmographies and obviously i wouldn't have known her from 28 days later at that point but it's very it's just a very distinctive performance and and very much that you write a committed one to what the character is and immediately you talk about like the history that she has with sparrow right like where she's like i thought we were together like you know it's like i thought like we were we were good and you know she's basically like implying that like she wanted a relationship with sparrow but like obviously like he's not going to do it so she's like whatever then she starts flirting with will uh which is is great and then even her like like her like again her with gives when they're talking about the story of davy jones Mm -hmm. was like when when like she just corrects him it's like it is both at the same time like that sort of thing it's just there's a lot of fun stuff with her in the shack um especially with uh, Jack the monkey as well, where she accepts it as suitable payment. Um, and then we get, we get a little hint about what the end of the movie is. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's a lot of the fun too, is like the build up to Davy Jones. Cause even <laughs> earlier when they're about to go to Tia Dalma's um, and, and like, they're like, you know, will we, will I get out of here? It's, it's like, you know, when, when Jack's to will, he's like, how much do you know about Davy Jones? Not much. That yes, we'll 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 survive this like like that whole thing. It's great, and even like gives it's like you know, I what I like about 
Elliot and Rocio a lot. I think they do do, especially in these movies, a good buildup of like to these character reveals in these moments. Cause I even think the little moment where it's like when he, when, when Jack tells gives, like, I, I feel like we have a need to move up river. And um, Gibbs is like, like a, a fleeting, a, a, a fleeting urge to go up river. No, a, a very necessary, like, like <laughs> yeah, we have yeah, yeah. to do it. Urge to go up river. He's like already dreading it. So, but then she, she, Tia Dalma eventually uses her whimsical magic of really just throwing some rocks on a table to. Um, help them find the Dutchman. And it's really not the Dutchman. It's another ship, uh, which eventually is revealed to be boarded by uh, Davy Jones and his crew. And Jack, of course, tricks Will into going on board. And uh, hey, just say uh, Jack Sparrow has sent me to sell his debt, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and But this is where we get the big introduction to Davy Jones and the Davy Jones crew. And it's just from, a, we've talked about him so much, but just from moment one, what a great look, performance, character. And this is such a highlight of the film. It's just the presence of Davy Jones throughout the proceedings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hell of an introduction. Do you fear death? And just a little mouth blips he does and just him like you can see like his command over people as as a captain, the fear that people have of him, even within his own crew, just him with the with the whalebone um, peg leg and the face. It's just so good. Like there's nothing else to say about it. Yeah. Um... And just like him, when you notice his will and just like sort of the incredulous look, and he looks around, it's like you are neither dead nor dying. What is your purpose here? Yeah, it, and it's such an interesting portrayal of a villain because because in some ways he's he's equal parts like terrifying and cruel, but he's also still kind of like a like a soft baby, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, um, yeah. It, it's um, it, it is funny because there there is a vulnerability that Nai brings to it, and there and there is a level of quirky camp that he does bring to it but it but it just works and the fact and and again i know i brought it up before the effect is so freaking good it's just it feels lived in you feel like it's that actual character nai gets lost into it but it does feel like it's him performing that character Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah and then and then outside of that too because right before then you get the rest of the crew and you get like hammerhead face uh um and uh what's what's another what's another uh notable one coral coral face coral face the shellhead yeah. guy who's shellhead head, guy which yeah. you know he gets a bigger moment towards the end of the movie the guy who's like a little prawn yes is, like there, there's that dude um i mean like the big the other big runaway i mean it's it's so like every time i see one of these guys i'm just like oh that's cool that's cool mm-hmm. that's cool like it, they're I mean, well the, designed they're very the, the well designed. runaway favorite i think is hammerhead face yeah he's like the most distinct especially because he's got like this like kind of like higher slightly higher pitched voice too yeah and i like that also you can tell that they are from different like 
cultures and different ships from around the world. Like, you know, there's like, they talk and it's like, you know, the, the, the shellhead guy has like, you know, speaks in like Spanish, but like there's other like British, it's like that they actually, you know, he's controlling of the seas. Like he, he goes to all ships that are in, in danger that there is kind of like a very diverse element of the crew, just from a visual standpoint, even just from the, the performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's just like kind of the, the the buildup and the freakiness because even the moment right after where he when he realizes when when will says like jack zero to send me to sell this debt and he's like I, you know he's kind of like amused by it and then you get the cut of where jack is looking through the 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 uh, telescope mm-hmm. at him and, and no he notices or uh Davy Jones notices and then it cuts when he puts the, the thing down he's like immediately in front of him like that's like a great little bit of just like how kind of scary just to like people this would be right that, that's just yeah. like a squid man just appeared on the ship and everybody's mm-hmm. like backing up it's just a great introduction to the character it really yeah, is yeah it is good another thing i was going to bring up about davy jones and the crew when it was talking about how incredible the vfx are the other thing that blows my mind about this movie is the swaths of fully animated cut scenes from the film mm-hmm. so not only was all this money spent to do it but there's like whole scenes where davy jones is fully animated that are just not in the movie right because you like, think that is that's the expectation so of like, yeah right like the expectation a lot of times with movies like this is like okay well you have to include everything that's a vex shot because you're spending the money on it anyway or when it is cut it's still in like animatic form but the fact that you're right that there is like full effect shots of jones just on the cutting room floor well, the big the big one is later on. There's an extended the liars dice scene. Like, yes, there's that is that scene is way longer, and mm-hmm. if you look it up, it's fully animated. Yeah. So, what insane person? <laughs> Basically, they fin- unless it was like a special thing. Maybe they did finish it later. I don't know. I but- would be sur- I would be shocked if they did because usually, like, that's not budgeted out at all no, like that's no. hard to stuff like, to do. unless like it was just a fun thing that they were doing like we'll finish out this scene but i i, I was shocked now th- that's less so in the third one actually the third one has way more scenes that were cut that are just him in the pajamas yes um but i i, I was a little thrown by th- that level of yeah. um yeah yeah. So, yeah. Well, again, they the ILM was going all out. They were trying their best to to showcase them as yeah. as as like the premier studio, and and it really is like a great showcase for what Industrial Light and Magic does. So yeah, so you know they so they introduce him. Jones decides to kind of mess with Jack by giving him like, oh yeah, well you can get out of this if you give me three days. If if you you get three days to bring me a hundred souls. Right. Like one soul is not equal to another. Yeah. Because Jack's like, hey, I gave you a soul. Like that's all you wanted. And one soul's not equal to another. Yours is worth a hundred. Great. A hundred souls in three days. Yeah. And but the implication being is that that's an impossible it's, it's, task. It's an impossible and, task. You know, yeah. It will we'll be back. <laughs> yes. We're just we're just fucking with you. And I mean um, it's and it's in, in some ways it's also I mean, this is like a thing where it's like, yes, it this is also Jack's intention because he's just he's just buying himself time to get the the chest because he's already instructed will that like hey to save elizabeth you need to get the key like you need to get the key from jones and then that's what tia donald says like he always keeps it on at all times so basically this is where like again you get a little bit of that classic jack from the first movie where it's like yes he knows he's not going to get 100 souls in three days 
he's basically kind of like waiting it out for Will to, you know, want to save Elizabeth. A Will's going to meet his father. Maybe that's going to like, I, I, Jack is like kind of like just waiting it out, just biding time as much as he can. So mm, I think yeah. it's like also his, you know, intention here as well. Uh, but that's the thing, like on the ship, on the Dutchman, you know, Will is basically like, hey, Jones is like, I'm going to keep Will as insurance. You only need 99 more souls. And that's where Will finally meets Bootstrap. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. get, again, the, the cruel element of the character where, you know, they Jones finds out, hey, like, that's my son. Why, why are you interfering? That's my son. Hey, now you're going to whip this guy. So, like, get to it. Yeah. Yeah, and then they... And, you know, they, you know, what's interesting is like that, that is a, it's nice that they have that father son dynamic. I never know if like this part of this franchise is as good as it should be. It's not. Yeah. Well, I think it's also because then you get like, again, it's like where a lot of this is like, where does the payoff end up happening? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of it is like where they take the, bootstrap bill character in the next movie you know it's just like how much does that sort of affect how you view this movie but it really isn't like the the best um you know because it is one of the elements of the first movie that's kind of brought up where will doesn't believe his father was a pirate and you know he was he was one of the better more morally sound pirates in many ways but you know he was and here you have bootstrap bill being like well i you know i wish i could say i regretted what i chose but I wanted to be a pirate and that's like, you know, the life that mm-hmm. I I put myself out in and Will is kind of gets this opportunity to be like, well, I can save my father in some ways. Um, well, I think the, the thing is like, they, they bring it up that he's like upset with him, but they kind of resolve it within a scene. Yes. I think that's kind of the big thing. I like seeing those two together and I like that it's in these, in these movies. Yeah. yeah and I think that I, there, I there is some stuff that they thing. do, but it's, it's definitely like not one of the stronger parts of like the, 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 the two kind of sequel films. It's mm-hmm. definitely something that I think could have been portrayed a little bit longer, uh, better, but you know, cause if we get the liars dice scene and again, similar stuff where Will's mm-hmm. going all in to, to challenge Jones and he's like, you know, angling it to see the key, but he ends up getting his father kind of locked into eternal servitude aboard the Dutchman. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, listen, dad, I'll, I'll get you out of you here. You know what? I used to feel bad about that, but I think after a couple times, I think the implication being is that like you're always coming on. And it's like, oh, you're going to serve for 100 years. But by the time you're done, you're going to be like Mr. Like, like sucked into the wall of a ship. Yes, the ship yes, that guy. Point, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> That yeah, guy, so, yes. yeah. So I, I used to feel bad about that, but he's like, yeah, but I'm gonna be hanging a lantern in a hallway, like, and and, and giving life. cryptic advice to like, yeah, to people at some point. Yeah. That guy's kind of like, uh, that guy's kind of like, so he, the key, he keeps the chest on him. He's the key on him all the time. He's like, oh shit! All right, back to the wall. Yeah, back to yeah, the wall. Yeah. And I also, I also always thought it was weird, like how again this is stepping ahead but like you know they kind of touch upon like losing your sanity when you're on on the ship depending on what your situation is but it is kind of interesting that they do plant that in this where mm-hmm. that guy on the wall is like just super weird and can right. barely speak and right and he's like speaking speaking in riddles and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah but back in tortuga we're introduced to norrington reintroduced yes this is again some of the classic pirate stuff i like that the uh 
there's more references to the ride. There's like the guy in the well. But uh, I like that this too, where they're they're interviewing all these weirdo people. Um, I just I don't know. The joke always gets me where it's like, how many do we have so far, including those four? That leaves us with four. Like I like that joke a lot. But then there's like the guys like I don't care if I'm die or alive. You're perfect. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to like head out to the sea. You've got it, buddy. But then Norrington. I just like I just like da- Davenport's performance like I do I just I think it's like obviously Norrington's the strongest in the first movie to me still because I just like how again he's like genuinely not a bad dude like not a creep or anything but I, I kind of do like sort of the the downward spiral sort of aspect of the character here um, and and the, his introduction line where it's like what's your story it's one it's the same as yours just one chapter behind and uh you know not anymore weren't you listening like just stuff like that just little moments like that jack trying to escape the big brawl i, I do think it's a it's a role that it's because it's davenport is good i yeah. think i think that's really the case i think it's because i i think it's because it's davenport and the performance in the character was so strongly established in that first movie that i think that it just it gives a little bit more to the performance and character um here because he's just kind of like giving a big like am i not good enough for your crew big fight brought you know breaks out in the uh in the hall mm. and then of course like by the way elizabeth's also shown up at this point now because she basically snuck onto a ship to pretending to be a dude um and then pretended to be a ghost uh dress with the that's kind of funny too with the idiot pirates that are just mm-hmm. like not really paying attention um, which again is kind of like really nice for Elizabeth's character where she's very much like a character who's really smarter than everybody else around her in many mm-hmm. regards. But she finally gets to Tortuga to find uh, Jack because he's Jack's with Will, of course, or that's what she believes. Mm-hmm. And then she gets the knockout Norrington after this big brawl where, again, another like nice little score bit from Zimmer where he's doing like the two horn pipes, which I think is a classic actual classic uh orchestration where like it's just kind of a silly fight where everybody's fighting jack's trying to find a new hat because he lost his hat uh a while ago um you know at the beginning of the movie and then finally elizabeth gets the knockout norrington everybody kind of pauses and she's like i just want the pleasure of doing that myself yeah everybody's drinking rum and everything you, you know it's funny you say that you know you know it is funny in this movie you know it's like done way too many times and it's great every time are are the jokes about rum yes every rum joke it's it's too many rum jokes and i love every one of them that's really the thing it's like there are a lot of rum jokes but i wouldn't want to cut any one of them no yeah that's the thing i don't know which what like like the like the hide the rum is great my my, like my dad dies every time in this in this movie when he turns around he's like hide the rum it's like he's like elizabeth hide the rum <laughs> and then but then it's also because you get the moment where gibbs is holding the rum and he's yeah. like looking for a place to put it like <laughs> yeah. he he can't like he's like all right i'll know. just bring it on the ship um he, he does not know and then yeah and then just the the one later on when they have to they don't have any gunpowder it's like then, then use the rum yeah everybody's like oh and everybody's it's like so pause it's like i the rum too and everybody's like no <laughs> like it's they're a- all they're all throwing it in the thing they're i like, love no, it it's so no. good um, it's so good, yeah. I also like mm-hmm. the little character detail that Norrington still doesn't believe in, like all this supernatural nonsense. 
even yeah. after the last movie. But like, Jack also has a really funny reaction to him when he says that, where he's like, "You look awful, mate. What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> like, and he's like, "I got hired. Don't you remember? I guess you don't have standards." Um, <laughs> that's that's good. I I, I like. I like you, all you know, because he's like, like you smell funny, like, and, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, so childish, childish. Like, childish, like you smell funny. Um, but I do like the character detail, even though he like fought the the skeletons in that last movie. That yeah, like he yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. believe in this nonsense because, of course, there was some rational explanation for it. Uh, but then you know we're kind of getting into like again the all the paths are crossing, right? Because you know, Jack is having one of the other things that's happening throughout the movie. And one of the reasons that this movie is going on as long as it is, is because Jack is seemingly confused about what he wants Mm -hmm. and that the, the, the compass is not pointing him towards the chest, uh, but it's kind of pointing him in, in many different directions. And so he basically kind of has this big conversation where he tricks Elizabeth into, you know, finding the chest with the compass because, he knows that like if she wants to find will and she wants to save will he needs to find this chest so that he can get him off davy jones's ship but the part of this whole conversation is a very sizable character moment between these two characters in which they are kind of talking about the you know how they view each other and and the morality right and it's like you know again very much something that i mentioned that like uh knightley was very you know influential on was the whole thing of just like Jack telling Elizabeth, like, you're going to want to find that moment where you get to be a, you get to be a true pirate and you get to be a betrayer and you get to be all this. And then on the other way that, uh, you know, she's like, you're going to really find that opportunity to be the good man that you are uh, at some point or another. I do like this line. They used it all the time in the trailers where he's like, you're going to find a moment to do the right thing. He's like, I love those moments. I love to wave at them as they pass by. I was like, that's good. I like that. I have to be honest, you're you're talking me a little bit more into this part of the movie because this may be the part of the movie. I, I it's not my favorite. Yeah. This whole them flirting with a like a love triangle, but not really is not really it's it's a little it is a little strange in some points because I also feel like this is again one of the things where I don't remember how any of this actually pays off, but mm-hmm. like it is one of those things where it is kind of odd, but I think it's really more about Elizabeth's character at this point because yeah, I think I, that you're, you're convincing me about where what it says about her. Because so, yeah, I think I, it I is follow. right because it's like especially again where she ends up. It's it's a character. It's like all of her instinct is really telling her that she wants to be Jack, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why it, when the compass points to Jack, it's not like really about her wanting him romantically. It's her wanting his life. It's just wanting mm. that true freedom of just doing whatever, you know, comes to you naturally where it's like, she still has this sort of, like I, I that was a part. I had that adventure. I went off. I found the love of my life. You know, we're going to do our own adventures together. We'll sail. We'll have other things, but like, I'm ready to put that behind me. And it's really like, no, she is a true pirate at heart. And it's, you know, eventually, you know, she becomes the king of the pirates, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's where that character leads up to in their big speech at the at World's End and everything. But like, I like that. I do like where this like sets up her character is in, in, in terms of especially what happens at the very end of the movie. But it's very much sort of this idea that she's just rejecting. She's trying to reject the the the, the immorality of the pirate lifestyle when in truth, it's like, that's what she wants most. I... Yeah, I um, 
I'm following and I and I and I'm and I'm warming up to it. So I think for me, I think the the issue I had maybe more of a Jack thing. Yeah. Because this is one of those moments where I'm like feeling like, all right, they're kind of just making him kind of a degenerate buffoon. Like cause aren't you like he's on a mission to like make sure he's not eaten by a giant squid. And and I guess like, you know, and then he's like sitting there like like we could just do it on the, the, the on the ship right here like i'm like what are you doing dude and and the reason i say this is because i know that there was that moment they had a similar type of moment in the first one but that was after he thought he was marooned and they were drinking all night and that was her trick on him yeah, like that's then, what yeah so I, I this was one of those moments where i feel like they're they're leaning a little bit too much no i i would agree i i i like these sequences for elizabeth but i am a little bit more mixed in them from a jack perspective just because because i think the thing is too i think when you look at that first movie like the whole point of that first movie that he is genuinely a good guy right we kind of have established that there is like a good part of him and now we're kind of replaying with like you know but i guess i guess the idea partly too is like well when his life's truly on the line like who's he going to you know, let go because it's like, you know, his life. But like, we're still kind of playing with like, we know he's kind of good at heart. We know that he has good in him. It's just kind of yeah, more so. It, it, I think it's half that, but for me, it's just half like how they play it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, yeah. It's a little bit of the weird where it's just like he's suddenly like, yeah, we could get married. I could marry us right now. Yeah, no. It's like, dude, you got other priorities right now. And you're, well, because, like, because I mean, the end of the know. sequence it, is very, well, I guess the thing is too is I think he's a little bit more thoughtful that he's in the clear because the end of the sequence is like they're kind of doing the big kiss thing or like the teasing of the kiss. It's like you'll, you'll want to know, like the kind of the flirting. And he, he's about to kiss her, but doesn't because the black spot appears on his hand, which right, right, indicates right. that the thing. And it's like, I know you could do it, Jack. It's like, let's, let's get to that island as soon as possible. And that's where we, we, we end up. We end up on the island with the dead man's chest. And all the storylines converge mm-hmm. that, that Jack is, is there. We should also mention that between, and this is kind of showing how long of a movie it is, but, but while all this is happening, we get, our, we get the big, I would say the big one, the, the big Kraken set piece. Right, right. Cause, uh, cause, um, or like the introductory, like the one that shows you like, what it's all like what yeah. the, the 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 scariness of the kraken is because the whole a bit is that they did the we talked about the liar's dice where uh you know will's trying to see where the key is it's around his neck it's around davy jones's neck so we get to davy jones's organ room which is also sick by the way i mm-hmm. love that he yeah. has an organ awesome. um and he plays it with his tentacles it's great um and he's sleeping at the organ he take uh will takes the key and basically like escapes the boat and Davy Jones like is like, you know, or, or his will turn uh, bootstrap bill helps will escape the boat. It's like, you know, they know you're going to help. It's like, what more thing can they do than me? I'm already like, here for an eternity. And then basically like, you know, Davy Jones is like, you will watch this happen. They send the Kraken after the ship, which was the ship Elizabeth was on earlier um, with, with the, with the ghost dress. And yeah, the ship gets basically obliterated by the Kraken. And it's great. Yeah. It's really I mean, nice. It, it's just like, a, it's just one of those big bangers of like a big visual effects. Like, yeah. And, and again, like, and with Zimmer's score with that Kraken theme, mm-hmm. the like, the, the kind of like, it's, it's great. It's a great soundtrack too. 
but will is kind of like you know seemingly we don't really know what his what his like status is to an ex- to degree but he shows up on the island too norrington is very much surprised that the chest actually exists and this is this is the stuff that i love dude when when they all start pointing their swords at each other and they're like no this chest is mine no i need that chest to free my father no i need that chest to like get my life back and i just love that stuff like that stuff is like really just fun nonsense to me it's great and then we get like the big, the real big action sequence of this movie mm-hmm. is the fight for the dead man's chest, the three-way sword fight, which leads into all nonsense where they're having this sword fight for the chest. Pintel and Rigetti are, we talked about earlier, like, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, oh, man, that chest is a lot of temptation. We would be doing them a favor to get the temptation out of them. They steal the chest. Elizabeth is yelling at all of them, like, you know, bloody pirates and you know, she's pretending to faint. She sees Patel and Rigetti take the chest. She runs after it while all the other guys are doing that. Meanwhile, Davy Jones's crew is there and he can't step on the land, which is another big element of the character is like he can't step on land every, to, every once he can go on land at once every 10 years. And he just apparently he just went on land. So like he sends his crew out after the chest. They're all digging a fight. It's just this is really the classic pirates action sequence right oh, this, is, this is pirates at its best I pirates think. at its yeah. strongest because i think it's both elements because when i there's the three-way sword fight which leads to like the very famous sequence where they're on the 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 wheel the the, the mill wheel yeah mm-hmm. that breaks apart um but there's great stuff here because it's like all the nonsense where like you know david uh norrington's gonna kill jack it's like i'm gonna kill the man who ruined my life it's like wait who really ruined your life who who like helped me escape like who who's the person that like you know helped me escape from prison when you actually had me and then you know he like still like pushes him off like shut up pushes him off he's like you're right he's right mr turner and they start fighting jack like is like oh i'm home free walks away into a grave the the wheel comes off and then like he's like gets stuck in the wheel class absolute classic with the music yeah. and everything with the with the he's a pirate score and then meanwhile you also have the other one where elizabeth has caught up to pentel and rigetti she takes her sword but realizes that like will took it or whatever right and so pentel and rigetti are like hello puppet and they're gonna fight her and then all the like davy jones crew is coming after them so then they start having to share the two swords together Mm -hmm. so they're yelling like sword and they're just it's like well choreographed with like sword and cutting perfectly super well edited the music again all of this is just like this is what makes like pirates like this is we talk about things where like a franchise has like an element of it that feels unique to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we talk about it with like what makes bond and Godzilla unique. We've talked about it with what, what makes star Trek and kind of what makes those best star Trek films. And this is so distinctly pirates mm-hmm. and you really don't get this feeling of an action sequence in many other franchises or movies like this, the, the, the Rube Goldberg stuff, you described it before. And as we've said, it like perfectly describes it where it's just like all these kind of crazy pieces suddenly interlocking into place and, and well edited and choreographed and, and written where like, it all makes sense about how it's kind of flowing in and out of each other. This is such like what makes these movies and especially this original trilogy. So enjoyable to still take in, even with the length and, and sort of the, the minor issues of characters and 
and and sort of how you feel about certain ideas and plot points along the way it's these types of action sequences that make pirates especially that original trilogy such a distinct feeling of a franchise I mean, I got to be honest, just by, based off my memory of the rest of the franchise, I, I don't I think this may be the last time they do it this well, yeah, because I, I don't yeah. because you're because it is such just sword play, how the characters interact, the larger than life fun things that happen with like the, the mill and the and the and the fantastical characters and throwing the weapons um, mixed with a great beautiful looking location mixed with some set work um it's the first time in this movie that i feel like it comes close to the propulsive engaging energy of the first film yeah i think this is definitely one of the th you can count this among the strongest sequences <laughs> of like all three movies yep. and i think that you're i think you're to a degree you're right i think this is kind of the height and i don't know if anything in at world's end really tops this though the sheer size scope and scale of that last maelstrom fight in at world's oh, end yeah 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 I, i'm just saying like i think this is like the last like big like big sprawling yes. sword battle yes because like, yeah, like that's there's yeah. the elements of that in that bat last maelstrom fight too when they're on the ship and that's like the marriage thing which we'll talk about next time it's hard to kind of sometimes especially with these two films how connected they are yeah, yeah, to yeah. not bring it up but We've this also is, lived with these movies a little longer. Yeah, they got almost twenty years about, at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. So, but this is this is definitely like a highlight of the franchise because then you even get like the fun jokes with the shellhead guy and his head's coming off and his body can't find it. Like over to your left, no, 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 not over that way. And then and then everybody's just watching it. It's like, all right, mm -hmm. uh, that's that's pretty fun. But just like, yeah, it's just well, so well put together. Absolutely. Yeah, and then Jack gets a jar of dirt. Which he got from Tia Dalma. Yeah. We can't forget that. Like, mm -hmm. that's another joke from that scene. That's like, I, that always sticks with me is that first scene where it's like when Tia Dalma gives him the jar of dirt, it's a jar of dirt. Will it help? If you don't want it, give it back. No. No. <laughs> then it helps. Uh, yeah. That, and that's... then it finally, like, he, he puts, like, he, because we, we should talk about, we, we haven't talked about what is in the dead man's chest yet. What is in the have dead we man? Not? No, we, we have not. We have not brought it up. So they find the chest and what's in oh the actual. Oh my God. I, I really thought we brought it up. That's so, what's, so funny. It, what's in the chest is the heart of Davy Jones. That's the yes. story they tell at Tia Dalma's. That's the story of the chest is that it contains the heart of Davy Jones and whoever controls the heart of Davy Jones controls the seat. Yeah. That's the point. So that's why everybody's, that's why Beckett's after it. Cause he wants to control the trade routes and, and the sea so that it's favorable to the East India trading company. Jack wants it because he wants to hold it over, uh, uh, you know, Davy Jones's head to get his soul back. Will wants it because it's going to free his father. And um, Norrington wants it because, you know, he can give it to Beckett uh, to, to basically free himself from his, you know, mm -hmm. downward spiral. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants it. And so the idea is, oh, Jones can step on land. So I guess putting the heart in the jar of dirt will hide it from him or something to that. Yeah, that, that is a plot element i never understood and i still again it's really it's, it. it's very elliot rocio it's just a kind of a silly visual yeah it's not i mean not that even really so all you're right that is all it is it's it is a but silly that's, visual uh, that kind of makes sense right, but it's, it's really. a very elliot rocio moment it's 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 very much like it's a visual it's it's very much like they're wanting of a horse on a boat at the beginning of the movie it's like it's just a visual idea that strikes him right oh well, well it's, it, a, it's and it's representative of, of the whole 
relationship with land and see with Jones too. It also, but it also strikes me as they needed to find a way to like visually trick the, like to visually kind of trick where the heart is at any right. given yeah. moment. Yes, for sure. So because like it... they need something. So they're like, well, it's a land thing. So what if he just had a jar of dirt and right. that way we can hide? It doesn't really matter what it is. That That's kind of the sense yeah. I get. Yes. From it. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause because Jack puts it in the dirt mm-hmm. and then, um, Norrington realizes that is something he did. Yes, and, and it's then, also very clearly that he took it like easily because yes. it's supposed to be like the whole thing is it's supposed to be like Norrington's like you know I'm gonna lead him away you know these guys away, uh, and but you very clearly see him like stuffing his pockets with something. And it's like no, that's yeah, it, it's very much Loki looking at the the tesseract at the end of Ragnarok, but you never see him take it. Remember that yes. little beat? Yes. Like oh yeah, that that's 100 what he did. Yes. Um, but yeah, so then so that that all that all wraps up and then it kind of leads into the big final mm-hmm. set piece of the film. Even though I just want to say, I do like, again, love Davenport's performance. I love when he's running into the woods with the chest. He just gets into it and he's like, give us that chest. And he's like, here you go. He just throws it in. <laughs> he just throws it in and, like, yeah. and just runs away. And then I like that the crab guy, like, you know, his head falls off again. They're all running away. And then like this time he just sprouts legs and just walks off. Mm-hmm. Head. But yes, I, I thought that was a cool design too. Yes. Just like how so they get back works, to so. the pearl. Uh, Jeff does like his little improvised, like I've got to job debt, I've got to job debt, like that whole thing. Yeah. But eventually, the kraken is set upon the ship again, and this is where we get basically sort of their fight with the kraken, the big battle, mm-hmm. and they're able to kind of give it twice. We had the yeah, first they go time. A few rounds with it, which yeah. I, I like. So they like they too. they go the first time where they shoot the cannons at it, and it seems like okay, well we got it. We didn't kill it. Will knows that we got to like blow it up. So they have all the gunpowder, and that's where we get to like we don't have enough gunpowder. We're, we're short a couple barrels. Then load the rum. I just love again the pause everybody takes. They're like no, not the rum, and then got, it gives like like I the rum too. I just love because what I love about it is like. Everybody's still like so reluctant about. It. They're like, ah! Oh, no. You just hear everybody grumbling, like, not the rum. Yeah. It's Eventually, like, like you it. know, they give the like everybody's on the ship. Elizabeth, you know, gets the gun. Like, do not miss. They're basically going to do this whole thing where they like have a big explosion with the gunpowder and the rum. You know, the the Kraken's still like whipping everybody. A lot of crew members are killed. Elizabeth, you know, and 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 we should also mention that once Jack realizes. Jack drops the jar of dirt, realizes that the heart isn't in there, and he runs away. Mm-hmm. Like, he gets in the boat. He runs away. Elizabeth sees him. He's a coward. They're still fighting for their lives. He has the moment where he finally looks back. He realizes, like, it's just the realization that he can't run forever. Like, he's just going to stay on land forever. So he looks at the compass, like, what does he want? Does he want to go to the, does he want to save his crew or does he want to go back to the, the island? And, he, you know, this is finally, like, again, sort of the, he opens up the compass. The camera doesn't see it. He, like, looks at it kind of like, what? Uh, but this is, like, that's the end of his arc. And I think this is where, you, what you talked about, where this movie does do a pretty decent job of feeling like its own thing. Because that's, like, the end of his sort of, troubles with the compass right Mm -hmm. the whole movie he doesn't know what he wants he doesn't know where he wants to go he doesn't that's a good point and that moment when he sees the compass and eventually leads to him returning to the boat and making the big shot against the kraken 
is that moment where that element of his arc in this movie is just like, no, I do want to be the hero. I do want that good moment. I do want to save my crew and my friends. And, you know, they, they, they blow up the big gunpowder and, and rum uh, concoction and the, the Kraken seemingly draws to the sea again, but everybody realizes like that's, that can't be it. That's not it. We have to abandon the ship. And so they all start like making their way to the boats. And this is again, the other big will and Elizabeth scene. They, you know, she kind of is being a pirate here. She tricks him by saying, like, I knew you'd come back. I knew you were good in you, yada, yada, yada. They kiss. They have a big kiss moment. Will sees it and is like, what the fuck's that? (laughs) But then the big reveal is that she cuffs him to the boat and essentially says, it's not after the ship. It's after you. We will keep running forever if you know, and she's justifying it to herself, right? She's, she's being the moral person that she thinks she is, where it's just like, I didn't like doing it. I know it has to happen. And Jackson smiles at her and says, pirate. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this performance is I really like, I, what I like about it is you can tell Jack knows that he'd do the exact same thing mm-hmm. in this situation. That if this was a situation, if they were on opposite sides, he would do the exact same thing. That she is truly a pirate at heart, and she's he's happy to see it. Another another part I do like about this whole bit of the film because they you know they're abandoning ship, and the writers bring this up too. But I do like it as a callback was because remember in the previous film he has that whole monologue about like this is it's like a ship isn't just a, like sails and a, and a deck and it's not all that it's about what it means and it's about freedom blah 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 mm-hmm. and then in this film they're like it's like what we're just gonna abandon the pearl and then he looks around he's like it's only a ship mate yeah <laughs> and i'm like that i like that I, it, it's a that's a very somber and it's honestly maybe my favorite earnest serious non-jokey jack moment in the in the film mm-hmm. um so i like that but then he gets uh he gets eaten. He gets gooped and, I'm in, and, and 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 in 2006 I'm watching this movie very shocked. Very confused. Very shocked. I was yeah. so confused. I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And I just like, yeah, cuz it's just like cuz he he gets gooped. He like a yo. Know, well, I guess he's like he does the same thing. He gets like out of the handcuff with like candle wax. Mm-hmm, but yeah. then by that point, the crack in and we see it. And it's like before from now, we'd only seen it like tentacles smashing and everything like that. We see it in its full glory right now with like the teeth bearing and like the huge size. It roars at Jack, you know, it gets gooped. He gives her the hello beastie and basically kind of goes down swinging. You know, he goes down like as kind of the fighting pirate and gets eaten as the ship is once again taken to the depths. Um, and, and this is where, again, you're right. Like, this is really where the sequel setup happens because we find out, of course, officially what happens to the heart in that uh, Jones orders the chest to be opened. The, the, the heart is not in there. They, they, they give a big, like, sparrow, like the, the big, like, yelling to the sky moment. Meanwhile, Norrington returns with the letters of mock. Mm-hmm. I forgot that term. That's a great term. Let us mock. Uh, and the heart of Davy Jones and pretends at the back end, he's gotten what he wants. Like something, what do you have? The compass, something better, the heart of Davy Jones. And we, we end up with our crew 
on the rivers of uh, you know, Tia Dalma's location where there's a candlelight vigil for Sparrow. Everybody's very upset. Yeah, great scene. Because this is this is essentially the final scene of the film and and it gets really great, but it is a good scene. I I, I do think because you really because it, it, it does illustrate like, oh man, it is a bummer that yeah. they kind of lost. Like, yeah. Right. And and that like you know, the heart of Davy they all know the heart of Davy Jones has been lost. Elizabeth is still beating herself up for her decision, even though it was the right one. Everybody else is very much sad of like, you know, Jack was a good man. You know, and they kind of under the belief, too, that he did go down with the ship, like yeah. that he did make the sacrifice, like everybody else is under that belief. And they're, you know, they're all toasting him and everything like that. And then it's like, if we could, like, like just the moment, again, this is a very Tia Dama moment when Will looks to Elizabeth and she sees, like, how beat up she is. And then he's like, if there was anything we could do to bring it back. And Tia Dama immediately pops is like, what would you do? <laughs> if you could do anything would you do it would you go to the ends of the earth well you know and- it's kind of brought up like when a person's like if it's like you know, hey if there's anything you need like let me know and you're like well like you know you could pick me up from the airport tomorrow i'm like well no i wasn't actually like that yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, more I, emotional I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then but then she drops the like would you would you go to the ends of the earth at world's end yeah you know the drop I the next admit- it's a really good like makes you pumped for the next one scene. yes because you're like out of all of this and you're like yeah now we're going after him we're gonna fix this and then it leads to one of my all-time favorite moments in a theater ever yeah it's hard this one's hard to be especially because again the era we were seeing this and we weren't really so privy to like this, what was going on here this moment happens nick and i don't think anything has ever like maybe there are a few things but this is easily in the top five like somebody showing up in a movie unexpected and apparently they knew what they were doing like they knew this was going to be like the thing that like that really like got people excited for the next one and boy were they right so they anyway so they're going through this whole thing where she's like we're gonna go we're gonna go at world's end but you're going to need a captain who knows those waters and then the boots start walking down and the music builds up and everything and then out co- and then and, and then there's like the shock on everybody's face cut to jeffrey rush's barbosa coming out and he's like ah it's like so tell me what's happened to my ship and monkey jumps on his shoulder he eats a bite of the apple starts laughing dude up to credits like right that's it that's Incredible. the end of the movie and to this day, that part still gets me. Yeah. And now, I, think- I remember very distinctly my first screening, someone like literally like yelled like, what? Like at that <laughs> moment, like just some dude in the audience was just like, what? And you, you know, what's so good about this moment. It's not only it's directed well, it's, it, it, it's um, obviously it speaks to Jeffrey Rush and how amazing he brought to life that character. But it never even occurred to me, and I'm sure there's probably somebody, but it's a character being brought back to life. But because it's so beloved, and maybe it's because of the world they set up, you never feel like it's like a cheap thing. No. It, like it feels like the perfect, like there's no other way this movie could have ended. Right. No, it, it's a very <laughs> same way. Which again, we 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 kind of teased this um last time in terms I mean, even earlier in the episode, but scripted wise, this was not in the script. Yeah. Um, originally, Even though they they knew, I think they had admitted to themselves, this is 
what they've always wanted. But according to the script, that's not what it was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the script says that it was going to be uh, Zoe Saldana's character. Right. Anna, Anna Maria from the previous film, which again is like one of those things where like it in a vacuum, it kind of like, oh, okay. Like it would have been you know, fun. Yeah, it, it, it's just like if you were if you were not if, not in the script, just if you were hiding this, just to be like believable. Yeah, okay, she's like kind of a character that didn't appear. Maybe there's more to her character. We'll explore in the next movie, like how she knows the waters, yada yada yada, right? Like, but then when it's like the genuine shock of everybody on set, when it's like it's you know it's Jeffrey Rush and it's it's Barbosa, and I'm like, well, that makes like yeah, that's awesome. Like that's crazy cool. And it really does get you excited because it's another character that you like from the first movie. Now they have to work together with him and everything like that. And sort of like, then it's like, Oh, like even if at that time, like, well, what, what happens when Jack sees Barbosa again? Like what's, what's going to happen with that? And what's, how is it going to lead into like them actually saving the day? Cause again, at this point we're thinking it's just a trilogy. Cause it's like, okay, if we know there's one more movie, there's gotta be like this, you know, ends everything. Cause you know, ongoing, ongoing franchises really weren't the thing other than Bond and Godzilla, which we've already discussed on this podcast. Like, this was the thing where it's like, this did get you excited to like yeah. see what was going to happen next and what did it mean? Where did they have to go at World's End? What did that mean? Right? Everything about it was just like, and also again, it's just like it is. Barbosa is a very cool character to to, to play with. Oh, and it, it was just. And like, you just want to see more of him. It does all the setup that you're talking about, and it's the promise that arguably maybe the best character of the last one is going to be back too. Yeah, it, it, it's. I to this day, I, watching it now, like I was, I still get the chills when he shows up. Mm -hmm. It's great, perfect ending, perfect ending. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Awesome. So that's uh, that's Dead Man's Chest. I. I know that the the whole the trilogy as a whole, and, and one of the reasons we we do, we wanted to do pirates is to kind of revisit this trilogy because like we've had discussions with friends and 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 other companions of ours about like how much this trilogy holds up and everything. And I really like, despite all, I I, I it seems I had little quibbles, and we talked about sort of like the signs of like what was going to happen to the pirates franchise. I still think the second one is a really fun watch in, in some ways it's a little long, you know, it's, there is some lengthiness issues. And I, I think there's some stuff where I'll be interested to revisit three and at world's end and sort of see how really this original, these characters and these plots like really come together in, in one final film. But as a whole, I really do like the second movie and there's lots to take in and, and enjoy and action. So fun. The characters are so fun too to to in to to take in and just the world and and the 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 uniqueness of pirates is still very much alive and i think that's what really makes me love this original trilogy right it is like the 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 energetic action sequences we talked about it is sort of the the nonsensical like in sensical but nonsensical discussions that these characters have with these kind of the moral sort of like tripping up of each other and and Patel Rigetti is like all of that is still and, and the and the unique supernatural elements like all of that is still feels so pirates even if it's not at the height of that first film and not the perfection it still is such a unique feeling franchise to enjoy and I think the second film still has those elements of it yeah I would sum up my thoughts as it's it's good it's not the first one but still still a good ride absolutely 
all right with that let's kind of wrap it up uh the film uh releases in 2006 it has its premiere once again on june 24th uh 2006 at the disneyland resort in uh outside of pirates of the caribbean uh and then a re um uh, has its uh, full release on July 7th of that same year. And marketing-wise, Disney was now all in on Pirates. That first one, again, was the big kind of like, oh, we don't know how this is going to be. Now they're like, this is our big thing. This is our big release. Let's go about it. Especially because, again, at this time, like, you know, the homegrown animation stuff was not doing too hot. You know, this was still like the era of you're getting your your chicken littles and everything like that. Like the the homegrown stuff is is not doing too, too crazy right now. The studio really has Pixar up its sleeve and that's it. And if we're remembering our history at this point, Pixar almost left the studio at this point. Like this was when they were going to leave. The Cars was going to be the last one of this year until the same year Eisner gets booted out, Iger gets bought in, and this era of Disney really comes to a hold hell. So this was a really end of an era in many ways for Disney. But they were all in. This was like their big moneymaker. And in many ways, it was the marketing. The trailers were big. The marketing was big. They added Jack Sparrow to the Disneyland and Disney World versions of the ride. Like they changed the whole Pirates of the Caribbean ride to fit now that this movie was their big deal. And it paid off for them in absolute spades. Uh, this movie was an immense success becoming the highest grossing film of 2006 with a worldwide total of 1,666,179 dollars worldwide it was the fastest grossing movie to a billion uh it had the opening weekend record um 135 million opening weekend also the biggest single day gross of 55.8 million which reflecting on that it's crazy right that that this is when again these are when these records were starting to be broken because the going back to near like that record would last a year until spider-man 3 did it the next year and mm -hmm. we're on this lead up to the avengers in 2012 making over 200 million in its opening weekend right like this was the era this was the real beginning of this era of billion dollar franchises of every year a new movie sets the record for opening weekend grosses like this movie was the highest grossing movie of 2006 and it is the third highest grossing movie of the 2000s in general the the highest uh, the uh, the only movies that it it falls behind in that era are avatar clearly and the return of the king the pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest was an immense success for the company and it really showcased sort of the, what the future of this company was going to hold because again it's a really big deal that this year this 2006 is one of the most important years in the history of the Walt Disney Company because not only do you have this big success of a film but you have the Eisner ousting you have the Iger being put as the CEO and you have the immediate buying of Pixar and that all of this together is really showcasing what the where the company is now this is this is the beginning of Disney becoming the biggest company ever. Um, and even if it's not the Iger era that starts these Pirates films, it's the Iger era that really is boosted by the success of these films going forward and that kind of marketing and that kind of filmmaking that eventually leads to the Marvel deal, that eventually leads to the Star Wars deal, that eventually leads to the Fox deal. Like all of this is like, just has roots. The seedlings are planted here. 
for what this company becomes. And it, it's an immensely important film in the history of the company. Um, and, and an immensely important film in, in film history, I think, as well. It's, it's, I think we kind of disregard that because of where the Pirates franchise has gone. And again, two years after this is that big Iron Man, Dark Knight dual, you know, dual release that really signifies where the film industry is going to go over the next decade or so. But this, uh, the, plant, the seeds are planted here. And I think it's important to kind of reflect on, on elements of that. Agreed. But uh, obviously, with that, um, oh, oh, I should mention, by the way, that the film was mixed reviews. Um, it's just kind of like the length and some of the plotting and sort of the direction of the franchise started to kind of grate on some people even then. But it was highly praised for the performances, the special effects especially, uh, and sort of just the, the fun nature of the action sequences were still very highly regarded. Uh, the Barbosa reveal at the end was very widely regarded as a great twist. Uh, and again, it was very popular among audiences as well. Um, and the, it was a happy ending for Industrial Light and Magic as they finally got their Academy Award for a Pirates film. They won the Academy Award for visual effects at the next Oscars, which I kind of found out was their first uh, Oscar win since Forrest Gump in 94. So it had been over a decade since Industrial Light and Magic had won an Oscar for visual effects. So this was a big deal for a lot of people at the company that they really put all their effort into making Davy Jones and the crew and the Kraken and everything look as good as it possibly could. And they were rewarded for it. And it was sort of like, yes, industrial, all these other studios have kind of come up, Weta Digital, uh, Blue Sky, all this other stuff that we've talked about. But Industrial Light and Magic is still the top of the industry for good reason. Alrighty. Well, with that, we end the world, uh, the discussion on Dead Man's Chest. And next time when we talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, it'll be time for us to finish off this original trilogy. We're going to have to flip a boat. We're going to have to talk more about Tia Dalma as a character. Uh, and we're going to see where everybody ends up here at World's End uh, from the very next year, 2007. Mm-hmm. can't wait and next time on our star trek episodes uh we are also reaching the end of an era over there with pirates will be reaching the end of the original trilogy but with with uh star trek we're going to be reaching the end of the original film era of the uh you know the combination of the original series films and the next generation films the last film before the a uh a aj uh jj abrams reboot uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Nemesis, uh, which got to be a lot of interesting uh, discussions over there as well. Yep, that will be a uh, a revisit for me. But yes, it'll be quite some time. It's been a while. Um, and again, we can directly compare Tom Hardy in Venom to Tom Hardy in Nemesis, his two greatest roles. Um, and then, yes, and still at some point, we're still trying to like, figure out the see it but at some point we will get a no time to die review uh out there for you guys so hopefully soon um we're just still trying to kind of make the timing sort of work on that but uh thank you guys for joining us uh once again for pirates of the caribbean i'm very happy we chose this franchise i think it's a lot of fun uh and i think it will be continue to be fun going forward absolutely and with that, let's just do our last plugs. BonzillaPod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash Bonzilla007, facebook.com slash Bonzilla007, like and subscribe, iTunes, and SoundCloud. 
Uh, I know uh, we've gotten a couple of recs through Twitter that people have tagged us and hey, people are looking for new podcasts and people have been uh, tagging us. So thank you again if you do that. Uh, keep spreading the word. We are a small operation here, but we uh, we know we have that passionate fan base. So always uh, a great time with you guys uh, listening in. Yep. All right. That's it. Let's get out of here. I'm right. uh, Nick and that's Will and we'll see you next time. Take care. I got a jar of dirt, I got a jar of dirt, and guess what's inside it?